Hello, romantics. Welcome to A Pod to Be You, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur, and it's the 50th episode of the podcast. To celebrate that, I invited 12 guests to talk about one of the most important movies of all time, James Cameron's Titanic. Uh, definitely one of the biggest hits ever, one of my favorite Best Picture winners, a movie that everyone has seen and everyone has different opinions on. I'm really excited to talk to all these beautiful people about this amazing movie. So without further ado, let's take her to see Mr. Murdoch. It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm here with a previous guest, uh, Greg Mucci, uh, who's a writer in the online space. How's it going, Greg? It's going well. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty well. Really excited to have you back on the show talking about uh, one of the greatest movies ever, Titanic. Uh, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your so what's you know what's your history with Titanic? When was when was the first time you saw it? Uh, well, it came out December nineteenth in nineteen ninety seven, so I was eleven. Uh, I definitely saw it Christmas weekend. It was like that movie that I think you know millions saw. Um, yeah. Uh, that weekend but yeah i saw it i think twice because we brought my grandma um just because it was something that she not firsthand experienced but um was around for the same happened with uh saving private ryan we like went back to the theaters with her um and both kind of blew me away that her being in her 80s i guess was into because one saving private ryan had tons of violence and this one had at the time, for my 11-year-old eyes, uh, a lot of nudity, um, which yeah. <laughs> is it, funny how it took up a lot of the sort of the airtime with people talking about it, because, you know, Kate Winslet's breast, I mean, she was like 21, which is kind of crazy, I think. Uh, she doesn't seem 21, but yeah, so I saw it opening weekend in a sold-out theater, and that and probably Jurassic Park are like the the experiences I remember of being of what it's like to be immersed in like just sort of a crowd experience. Uh, Cause everyone was, I guess on the same wavelength, you know, no pun intended. And I think I, I think it was, it was the shining aside. I think it was the first like epic film I really was exposed to. Cause I hadn't seen Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, right, like Dr. Right. Vago, you know, like the, the classics, but so yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that this movie was like the first time I experienced what I still think, you know, having rewatched this last night, I think it's like perfect pacing. Like, I think it's just because, I mean, there's an hour and like 15 of them in the disaster segment. And then there's like, uh, I think even more. And then there's them being in the water. It's just like really great chunks, you know? And I think that aside from the, the narration um, with old Rose, even though I like Gloria Stewart and um, wow, blanking on the one movie that I've seen her in. Um, but yeah, no, she, I, I think the flashback aside, I think it's a great 
masterpiece. And I think that uh, me loving it in 1997 seemed to cause a riff in my male group. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Because <laughs> it was definitely that movie that a lot of preteens fawned over. Right. Um, given Leo, and, you know, rightfully so, but as a as a boy, loving Titanic was uh, deemed problematic for your masculinity. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really un- uncool movie at the time. Definitely, I have a lot of memories of me being like, guys, it's, it's so good, and everyone's like, it's just some dumb movie that girls like. <laughs> yeah, 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 because yeah, I, mean, I remember going back on Monday after that opening weekend, or maybe it was the week after because we were on vacation, but yeah, all the girls were talking about it. All the guys, it was cool to hate. It was definitely like, uh, I mean, that was around the time that people started getting into like wrestling. Um, yeah. So, and a lot of, and I mean, that's pretty much around the time that gay was being used as a um, derogatory term. Um, right, right. And so, uh, yeah, but I, I immediately loved it and I was sort of unabashedly in love with it, which I think, you know, as someone, as a kid who had, not much confidence I think was pretty surprising for me because I just kept on talking about it. And I think that it sort of created a, a bond with other people within our, my age range. Um, but yeah, I, we went back and I, we saw it with my grandma and she loved it. And uh, I think it was just being, it's like a beautiful like experience cinematically because everyone in the theater was sort of on the same wavelength, like I said. And I think yeah. for a movie that's three hours and, 15 minutes it's something like that it's i don't know it you don't really get many of those but i mean you do now with superhero movies like you know the avengers films but yeah back then was you know uh i don't know it it was more rare you know i think that tweet that went out like a week ago about normal movies being two and a half to three hours and you know like i they don't agree with that but you know the the it's different it's different now. Yeah, I mean, um, I want to hear more about what it was like seeing this on opening weekend. Uh, I don't think I saw it until January. Uh, it kind of took a bit to convince my parents that I was old enough. I mean, I was eight, mm-hmm. so um, I don't definitely wasn't old enough. But you know, it it once it became a phenomenon, then my parents were like, I went to go see it with my friend and his older brother, and. Um, but it took, it, yeah, it took some convincing that, like, okay, no, people of all ages are seeing this. And, you know, I, you're, I definitely remember the discourse around the nudity because that was one thing that, you know, it just seemed like a very hot and sexy movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, it, yeah. you know, and that section of the movie is very erotic, but definitely not the focal point. But that that's what the reputation was, at least, you know, in my neighborhood or town. Um, so what was that experience like? I mean, did... Did you go like? Did you go into it um, knowing that this is going to be like a special, you know, epic kind of like once in a lifetime type movie? No, I I think I may have been dragged slightly yeah. there. Um, I think given the runtime and I think at around that time I was just a boy who was sort of trying to escape from uh, like bullying. So video games were a huge part of my life, and mm-hmm. uh, I. <laughs> I think that's sort of when I started to, be, to go from a hobbit to like a Schmeagle type where I was just like in a basement a lot playing video games. Um, so I was dragged and I think that's why I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, I think also because the, because of the nudity, I definitely did not want to see it with my parents. Uh, and <laughs> right. that moment in particular where, you know, um, 
it wasn't the first you know nudity I'd seen on screen at that point. I had seen Primal uh, Fear before that um, at a young age, but you know that moment you could just feel like people shuffling. You know, like a yeah. lone cough would echo through the theater, and right. it was definitely like a palpable sort of moment. Um, and I and I think that it was done really delicately which is why it's weird to talk about the nudity it wasn't gratuitous i guess right you know who really cares i guess in my eyes but yeah um, yeah yeah it, but yeah i don't know it no one was no one was stirring like due to unrest it was and i and i do really think the movies pace really well um mm-hmm but yeah, as as a kid, it sort of opened me up to. I mean, you start going back, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go watch Basketball Diaries, or I'm going to try and find, uh, like, what's eating Gilbert Grape, and then you, you know, some people found Heavenly Creatures for Kate Winslet, and yeah, I do think that it was sort of a jumping off point for these young stars. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I definitely saw Titanic before I saw Demon Knight, so that was my first exposure to Billy Zane, who I think is pulls off one of the greatest cowards in in cinema. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, with like this crazy kind of skeet Ulrich hair. But yeah, no, I was definitely dragged to the theater because, uh, you know, you're 11, you don't really want to do much with your with your family, right. Uh, I definitely do um, agree with you that the pacing is really good in this movie. Um, I, yesterday when I was watching it, I clocked it at, um, you know, it's almost exactly halfway through that they hit the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm almost surprised by that because I feel, sometimes it feels like the first half of the movie is two hours long. And then sometimes it feels like the first half of the movie is a lot shorter than it is. And um so for me, I, I feel like, you know, it that second half just, you get there a lot faster than I think a lot of mm-hmm. people give credit for. And I mean, I actually do, I mean, I love, I love the whole movie, but I actually do love the first half a lot. And I think you you kind of need it to get, to make the second half pay off the way it does. Uh, is there any particular, like, um, moment or scene uh, that really stands out for you? Like, what's your favorite kind of line or, or sequence in the film? Um, uh, and yeah, I, I do agree that the, the second half is sort of, like, commands your attention. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, it's... Yeah, it's super it's super intense and I think that the part that I always remember is everybody scampering up to the top of the ship. And yeah. I do think it's weird that Leo sort of is the one to instruct her to hold her breath and that the ship's gonna suck you in. Like I don't I'm not really sure how he knows that as a sort of right, right. I guess. Because, I mean I do you know, this was pointed out to me last night, but I think that it's sort of a an interesting take on like Aladdin, you know, where he's just sort mm. of like this, this street kid who falls for someone who's a, a class above him. And, you know, it's like a forbidden romance, but um, yeah, I mean, cause obviously the, the, the jewel scene, you know, her, her being painted is probably the most iconic, but no, it, I seeing with my, with my dad was like, you know, he, he, the amount of dad grunts he would elicit when people would fall and like hit a railing and but that entire scene of everyone scampering to the top and holding their breath um and then her you know with the whistle sort of like like blowing it yeah, to get the yeah. attention of um a young ian groford i think is the uh um, oh my god yeah one that's, of the officers wow yeah um 
I think, I mean, the captain going down with the ship, mostly now it just strikes me as funny because it's Bernard Hill, who I associate mostly with Two Towers, mm-hmm. who I think is just someone who doesn't know how to handle uh, the hectic situations. Um, but also this the, the captain killing off the Irish guy and then firing off another shot before killing himself. Because... Now, you know, as a kid, I didn't really see it as a class system, like, or like the, the divide really well. And, you know, that moment where that the ship is sort of sinking or capsizing and it splits in half and everyone sort of immediately falls back down in the middle. It's just sort of like it, you know, during a, a big disaster moment, it doesn't matter how rich you are. It's like anyone could be at the bottom of the ship. Yeah. Um, and, but mostly the water, because I think that, especially at that age, I was huge into Universal Studios, and a lot of the experience rides, like Jaws, um, King Kong, Back to the Future, like this felt like it was set up that way, with the water being sort of lit underneath, and it being almost turquoise. It felt like something Universal would throw you in, so when, like the water's breaking through in the hallways yeah, and getting yeah. flooded. But, yeah, like it's it felt like a ride, which I think helped draw my... Uh, adolescent attention really well because yeah for a movie that like you said it has like two hours of just sort of setup and romance and uh the sweeping majesty like uh i'm very surprised i saw it twice or wanted to see it again as a kid because you know i don't think i was into really long movies until magnolia you know when i I came out in 99 i probably saw it when i was like 16 or 17 but yeah Long movies aren't usually kids' things, but this movie proved proved me wrong. Yeah, definitely. Um, that whole a lot of that feels so much like real, like the way that James Cameron stages it just feels so exciting and propulsive. Um, even though, like, technically, yeah, of course, we all know what happens, right? But each little you know moment of that sequence just feels so visceral, and mm-hmm. yeah, it really really commands your attention as you say um the ship breaking in half is probably my favorite part of that whole plot. i think it's so scary um and it's so like unexpected you hear i feel like you hear every splinter of wood like breaking apart like Mm -hmm. the sound design is really incredible um and yeah it's just like it's this kind of like class level or thing where it's like everyone can kind of pretend that you know they're more important but really they're all just kind of like you know, falling into the same ocean and they're all in the same position. So it's really, uh, it's really fascinating to look at, at class and, and how this disaster brings out, you know, the, the best and the worst in, in people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that it's, you know, you could, at that point, James Cameron was the Terminator 2 guy. I hadn't seen Abyss. Um, I don't even think I'd seen Terminator at that point because Terminator 2 was my first. So he was an action guy for me. And so for him to pull off the romance, which people can you know, argue that's uh, ineffective or trite or whatever, but I think it works really well. And the, like, I had a feeling he was going to handle the disaster part really well. But like, you know, as a kid, I hadn't seen Poseidon Adventure or Towering Inferno or Earthquake. And now having seen those, uh, I think it makes me appreciate Titanic even more because a lot of those are ensemble features that sort of get lost in that, in my eyes. I mean, I think Poseidon's probably the best one out of it, but this was sort of takes the cake. I think it's like a really great disaster film. And yeah, it, it's one of the movies that turned me on to film. And I like, you know, to this day, I know people revisit it and they're like, oh, it doesn't hold up or they have gripes with this. It's 
probably like along with like The Departed and Saving Private Ryan are movies that I just like I could always turn on and watch you know like The Fugitive it's like if it's on I'm watching it you know it just it grabs me yeah absolutely um well thanks so much greg this has been wonderful where can people mm-hmm. find you online and what are you working on these days uh they can find me at real brew um r-e-e-l um i'm trying to get back into writing mostly i'm you know baking at home i sort of am trying to make that a full-time thing with a company lone wolf bread company that i started um a year ago and yeah it's a lot of anxiety you know, uh, but yeah, uh, they can find me musing about Titanic, I guess, online <laughs> on Twitter. But, Great. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, of course. So I'm here with returning guest Adriana Gomez Weston. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, doing doing well. Really excited to have you back on this show, especially to talk about another Leonardo DiCaprio movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm yeah. excited too. <laughs> Yeah, so what's your uh, what's your history with Titanic? Um I have I never saw it in theaters when it came out, but my mom had the the tape, the two-part tape and I remember I don't think it's a children's movie, but like for some reason my we we shared a um TV because we didn't have a lot of mom, money, so we, I know that we watched that movie a lot and for some reason I really fell in love with it and I in my mind, it's considered like the first movie I ever became obsessed with. Yeah, <laughs> I just love the story and like the the visuals, like Leonardo and Kate Winslet both together, and like just like I was a big, huge history buff and like reading stuff for fun. So I really was fascinated with like the history aspect of Titanic too. So it's been my favorite, one of my favorite movies for years since I was a little kid. So it's always had a special place in my heart. And I did for this podcast, I did watch it recently again, just to, you know, refresh my mind with it. But yeah, I never get tired of it. I always go back to it and it just, I still cry every time. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty much my history with it. Yeah. I certainly remember those, uh, the two tape set. Uh, I feel like everyone in our kind of age group had that growing up, or at least all the Titanic fans. It was like, I feel like I remember exactly where tape one ended and where tape two started. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned kind of being the being a history buff about it because I think that's also like a really um, interesting part of Titanic's legacy that all these, there are so many, um, I feel like a lot of people who watched at a young age got really into the history part of it. Um, you know, what, like, what is it about this story that I think really... Um, or what is it about this story that really kind of ignited your imagination and got you really excited about it? Um, I would have to say, like, I guess it's not a cliche, but like the the star-crossed lovers aspect, like yeah. rich girl from first class, you know, the poor guy, you know, poor artist from the third class, you know, like they try to, you know, get together and like... I like the aspect of Rose being trapped, and, you know, and just finding freedom over the course of evidently just a couple days actually now that I think about it it wasn't that long but all this stuff happened and then she kind of like chooses to start a new life when it's all over and just you know wipe her slate clean after this big traumatic event has happened that has showed her you know she needs to live her life yeah there's certainly um there's something so like romantic about you know meeting someone on a cruise ship and you know, having that whirlwind romance that, you know, is so short, but feels so meaningful 
to to someone's life. I, I find that to be really uh, really a romantic uh, storyline. Um, what are some of your favorite uh, moments from the film? Um, I really love the party scene, of course, where he goes like, "You want to go to a real party?" and he like shows her a good time in the third class. Yeah, and I really like how they show like kind of have that juxtaposition like the first class people they're just sitting around it's almost kind of boring pretty much like masters of the universe like she uses the term yeah. they just kind of, like talk about shallow things it's boring and then like she goes down to third class and they're having the time of their lives with great music and even though they're n- don't have a lot of like financial of security they're having the great time on this ship and you know have like having a blast and don't seem like they care that much you know about you know status and you know, and all those things that the first class people are talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's a really fun scene when, you know, first he goes to the upper class dining hall and, you know, he's able to sort of charm them even though they're all being really condescending towards him and, you know, especially um, Rose's mom be, like asking such really insulting questions, but he kind of takes it with a smile and, you know, he knows kind of what his place is at that dinner table where he's just kind of like, he's just there to, you know, be this colorful rich person, or sorry, colorful poor person who, you know, is surviving and has a really unique take on life. And, you know, he kind of knows that's his role. And then, um, you know, she goes down to the uh, the lower class cabins and show him like a, a lower class bar and, she's able to fit in there too, where she's having fun and they're dancing together. And, um, it shows like how much, you know, how much like her life is so, you know, boring or like unsatisfying for her. And that she could just like be free to move to, you know, like a different type of people. She'd have more fun and be able to be more, you know, herself. Yeah, and I noticed, like, when she goes down there, none of them seem to, like, question her, really. Yeah. Or, like, notice, even though, like, she's evidently dressed nicer and a little more prim and proper, they don't really say anything to her about it. They just accept her and, like, just have a good time with her. They don't seem to care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really cool kind of look at, you know, class, um, classism, you know, and how, like, he, like, Jack has to change so much about him and he has to learn how to, like, you know, eat you know, with the proper silverware and dress properly. And, you know, he kind of has to act like a different person when he's there. Like, you know, the, you know, she's saying like act rich or act like you belong there. And then she goes down and she can just be herself. And, you know, like you're saying, no one really is judging her or cares if she's there. I think it's, um, yeah, it's a really cool, uh, juxtaposition. Um, uh, Kind of like what else? What are some of your other favorite moments of the film, or other kind of uh, parts that really stick out for you? Um, when the ship is sinking, when they're playing, like, was it near my God to thee? Mm-hmm. Like that whole scene. Um, I think now that I'm older and have gotten more into like the entertainment and learn about production, I really appreciate, even though it's like a really dark, like depiction of like suffering and what they went through like i really appreciate like the craft work and like yeah. the visual effects on all like that whole scene where they show like everything breaking and like yeah water rising and the um the band keeps playing and all this stuff is floating and i think like 
I think I was like, in my recent we rewatch a couple days ago. Like I really got an appreciation for how that was created and like redone, and like the sheer amount of effort. And like to me, it was just such an incredible scene. And then with the music, you see all like the suffering and like what these people went through. Yeah, <laughs> there's, like video footage. There's no like camera footage of it, so they painstakingly redid all this, you know, and try to show like all this terror and like horror that happens when like you know a ship is sinking. Yeah, you know, um, tying back to the like kind of being fascinated by the history of it, I re- like. I feel like if there is any um, any small moment of the film, like you can Google it and see that's based in some historical, you know, po- historical uh, you know story told by one of the survivors. Um, you know, like the band is the most famous one, but you know, even like the rats or the you know um, the ship breaking, all that stuff. And I think like one thing that I think always I think about a lot is like the plates falling off the walls um and shattering and it just makes me think about like how much um how much you know money went into this ship and how you know there's such hubris around oh it's unsinkable and they put it's such a luxurious ship and there's so much you know attention to detail and all these different um parts of it you know um like the sheets and the um the furniture everything and it all just kind of goes to waste and goes to the bottom of the ocean and there's something so sad about all this you know all this craftsmanship that went into the ship and um uh it all just went it sunk into the ocean um and i I really like that this movie like i think gets all these like really uh fascinating details about it um and how much like this movie just really uh takes it's like the production design is so beautiful and it's so uh I mean, I'm no history buff. So I don't know if, how accurate it is, but it feels like they did a, a, a tremendous amount of research and tried to get everything right. Oh, yeah, it does. I think they said, I ha- can't quote me exactly, but I think they said they spent like over $200 million just to like do all like the ship alone. Yeah, yeah. To create everything like to look exactly as the real ship looked, which is a lot of money. Right, right. Um, is there like a specific line that really sticks in your memory or um, like character beat or anything like that? That's just like, you know, you think of Titanic, you think of this one specific part. Um, I don't, a line that I think sticks with me now, like when I was a kid watching, I didn't really understand the whole, you know, off the back of the ship situation. And that line where, you know, Rose is like, you're crazy. And then Jack is like, with all due respect, miss, I'm not the one hanging off the back of the ship here. <laughs> like, I remember that now. But yeah. <laughs> I understand what was going on um, at the time. And now I see, oh, she was, you know, trying to uh, commit suicide, which is a very heavy thing to think about. I didn't know, like, understand that as a kid. But now I'm older. I'm like, oh. And she's like, yeah. telling all these things like, you're nuts and all that stuff. And he's like pretty much taking a jab at her a little bit yeah (laughs) like using kind of like some dark humor like hey you're the one dangling off the back of the ship yeah yeah um i also yeah that scene really sticks out to me and also just like the way he describes like being in the cold water um you know i think it's something like oh man i wish i remember the exact line i think it's like a thousand knives or something like that and like that just always uh that always scared me for some reason, like, 
uh, when I was watching it as, I mean, I was also too young to watch it uh, when I watched it, but I remember being so scared by like how cold it was in that water. And, you know, when they see, especially at the end, when, you know, when you see all the, all the corpses in the water, that scared me to no end. Um, it still does. It's very scary. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, especially, yeah, that scene when he, when they first meet, um, it, it's interesting how like kind of weirdly funny it is. Uh, like you're saying, like he's kind of like making a little fun of her, uh, because obviously we know that she's not gonna commit suicide in that scene because then there'd be no movie. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's a that's a great one. Any um, any last thoughts on Titanic? Um, yeah, I just yeah, it's a really it's a very important movie to me. So like I'm always open to talking about it, and it's just like I don't know, it's always stuck with me for the past. Like over these years, and I, like yeah. I said, it's like well, the, the first movie that really got me into movies, the first movie I ever really fell in love with, even though I was like a child, probably like five or six when I first saw it. So it's been with me like ever since. And yeah, I hope more people like appreciate it and like talk about it still. Yeah, me too, definitely. Adriana, thank you so much for sharing your uh, thoughts on Titanic. Uh, where can people find you online and what are you up to these days? Okay, so what I'm up to these days, I'm trying to get more reviews out there on my site, uh, thecinemasoloist.org. Um, I'm working on my master's in clinical psychology, so I'm pretty busy. <laughs> and then I also like starting a substack about um, like grunge and... Um, uh, like 90s music called um, Woman in the Heart Shape Box. And so you can find me on uh, Twitter at Right Intentions, and that's W-R-I-T-E. And then also at on Instagram at Adriana Gomez Weston. Great. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. All right, thank you. And I am here with uh, Carlos Ohano, host of the One Inch Barrier podcast. Hi, Carlos. Hi, Manish. It's been a while. So yeah. I'll talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm so glad that you could be here talking about Titanic. So um, my first question for you is, what's your history with Titanic? When was the first time you saw it? All right, let's do this. Um, well, let's see. Um Titanic is one of those films that I have watched like I at the right time um, because I let me backtrack a few years. Um, I felt that I wanted to make to direct films like six or seven years old, but I was just watching um, local films. I thought I was being patriotic. <laughs> and then there came a point. Well, I've run out of local films to watch. We're just like, how does that happen? And then my one of my aunts, who's a, a cinephile, um, introduced me to the Oscars. And um, she had me print out a list of Best Picture winners from the 1960s to the present, which is like 2000s. And then we were trying to buy all of those in home video. And then I stumbled upon Titanic. Um watched it by myself and um, it was at the time when I wasn't just like dreaming of making films I was it was already at the level in my school I was in fifth grade we were being asked to make videos so like the dream of making films 
starting to be put in action. And then you see a film like Titanic, which for me just expanded what film can do. So it was like the perfect inspiring thing to like, oh, this is the power of filmmaking. So I might probably do this for real, for real. And it was around that time, fifth grade, sixth grade, where it's like, many video productions in in school and then watching Oscar winners and especially this Titanic, this little film called Titanic. And um, I, since then I have rewatched. All right. Here in the Philippines, we have this technology called the VCD. It's like VHS, but disc and you know, Titanic has like two or three VHS <laughs> because of the length. It's like we have VCD, but three, the third Per one hour per disc, and I replay the third disc every night when I was in sixth grade. I just watched the Titanic sink, and I was always in awe of it, and I cry every time. And um, it has become like my self-flagellating Valentine's tradition to watch it by myself. <laughs> and um, I promised to myself, like, I'm gonna start stop watching this by myself. Once yeah, I get yeah. to watch this with another person, which until as of today hasn't happened yet. And um, I'm so glad I rewatched it because the last time I've seen this was like 2018 or 2019, December 31. And when you asked me to do this, I'm like, oh, it's three hours. It's my favorite film of all time, but I'm just three hours. Okay. And then, you know what? Thank you for <laughs> making me watch this again. It was, it's like meeting an old friend. You know, you pick up yeah. where you left off. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for me, it, it's it's similar. Um, where I just, I also went through a phase of watching this on Valentine's Day. I think it lasted maybe two years because, um, uh, but yeah, definitely I had that experience and being like, this is so difficult to watch on Valentine's Day, yet I want to do it on that day and drink wine and, you know, order a pizza and you know, have a whole heart-shaped box of chocolates and then... Yeah hate myself the next day for being so you know basic <laughs> um, uh, but uh. it's true though this movie has that that familiarity to it it's so comfortable um so you said that you uh watched the last disc so which is the ship sinking what about that sequence i mean i know that's like almost about an hour of the film but like what about it made you watch <laughs> that part over and over again instead of you know just the whole thing or like the more kind of like cute romantic parts in the beginning First of all, I was in elementary. I have no time every night oh. for three hours. So just <laughs> yeah. like one hour per night. Yeah. Just casually watch Titanic. But um I think, you know, I know I know people have some, there are some people who have qualms with like the structure because it's like one half of it is almost like a romantic comedy set with class differences. Yeah. Yeah. And then I felt that like one I, I timed it like I'm almost like very much in the middle is when it, the iceberg strikes, uh, hits the ship or the ship hits the iceberg. Um, and then it turns into something more. But I think when you watch it that way, it's a payoff of everything that's been set up before. But if you don't want to watch it that way, that last hour stands on its own as this amazing piece of um, filmmaking and just like the scope of it and how it pulls it off because what it achieves is finding those small human moments mm -hmm. within the big 
moments and it's almost as if it's a ticking time bomb of like of course it's sinking so you have a timeline there but at the same time the film is so good in finding those short moments of just like strangers panicking friends we see you know the small pieces that remind you that this isn't just a historical event or like a spectacle of film there are lives involved and i think that just raises the stakes every time you watch it and then of course you have this romantic couple in the center which um still made me cry a while ago so there's a lot of things coming together and it's almost as if the film and especially like the 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 last act it's the last half the film itself is like it this is this is demonstrative of what hollywood epics can do in terms of like mixture of genres small versus big coming together payoffs big setups sm- uh, powerful moments it just comes together in the last hour and i think people can skip the first one and a half hours but especially that last hour gosh i still unbelievable it's unbelievable i love it yeah yeah um what are your favorite of those like smaller moments within you know the extended ship sinking sequence because i i feel like the movie has a lot like even like that last that last half of the movie it goes through so many different like phases and sequences you know like um and there's so many as you say so many small parts and so many um little moments of not even characters that we had even seen before, but just seeing, I mean, you get the whole scope of everyone on that ship and what they're dealing with. Um, So what are some of your favorite moments from that last half that really like stick out to you? Um, First of all, I am happy that it's still clear in my mind because I went through a phase in sixth grade where I was watching all behind the scenes and all deleted scenes available (laughs) online. And uh, that that made me more realize, oh my gosh, there's a filmmaking involved. But going back to the scenes, you know, I noticed this time small moments like... um, There is this one moment before Jack and Rose comes into this locked steerage gate inside yeah where women and children only and then the men started coming in it's it's obviously a big scene but we don't know i mean we only see two of jack's friends there. jack and rose weren't even there but it's such a powerful thing because you see how class in the in the face of death is still a prevailing thing it's not even like oh we're both living no we have to maintain class structure um one scene with oh it there's this one moment where i think it's a it's a middle easterner family mm-hmm. it's so quick it was the camera's just panning but the fact that they were foregrounded for like two or three seconds adds another dimension to it i know this is just like something that i'm picking up after like i, I even stopped counting watching this film um those small details and even the guy who um, you know, when Jack and Rose were stuck and then this guy were, was running and then he dropped the keys. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it, it's such, it's so serendipitous. But when you see how the film was really investing on characters we don't even know by name, that kind of scene doesn't come off as like, oh, you know, you know a, a lazy... Um, 
thrilling setup. No, it, it is organic in this moment where strangers and strangers meet, fictional and historical characters intersect and interact. Those moments also, um, probably one thing that I remember, one last thing, uh, is when the richest man on the ship is there standing on the dome and then the dome exploded with water. Mm-hmm. It was just... The film is so good at those with those character moments, historical and fictional, and how it gives weight to the overall tragedy. It's not messy. We go through different characters, and it still makes one whole cohesive tragedy, like a whole tragedy. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, like. This movie really, um, as much as itself, much focus on you know Jack and Rose. They're really just our kind of conduits into seeing the entire scope of every everyone on this ship and every class, every dynamic, and you get such a wide variety of, of yeah. little moments and character beats that really work. And I think you know sell both the length of this movie and also the. Um, sort of the, the scale of the tragedy. I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, so finally, before uh, before we say goodbye, what's your favorite line in Titanic? Or one, like, one moment that, you know, just really sticks out for you? All right, so I will confess, a while ago, I'm, I'm so proud and ashamed <laughs> that um, in the first hour of the film, I was able to manage to recite the dialogue as they're being said. Amazing. It's not even it's not even intentional. I, <laughs> of course there are moments unless I'm I'm an I'm a I'm an aspiring actor, so I memorize film scenes and I try to act them. But this one I didn't even bother memorizing those dialogues. It just came naturally like I'm 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 thrilled and scared for myself. Like why do I know their lines? And why do I know the nuances of these actors? But I'll always go back to the scene where, um, oh, this made me cry multiple times. Now I hate it. Uh, when Jack, when Rose um, went to the lifeboat and then he's looking at baby Leo and that um, like rescue light firework thing and she couldn't help it and she jumped back and they met at the staircase and um, it's an encapsulation of like the energy of the cinematography. Um, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio just being in the moment. That score, just like oh, whoo, I it's, am. Yeah, it's perfect. It's beautiful. It is. Um, well, thank you so much, Carlos. Uh, where can people find you online? And um, yeah, what tell us about the podcast a little. Oh yeah, so my podcast, The One Inch Barrier, it's about it's a it's a podcast that um, as of now, uh, we're reviewing the films that won Best International Film at the Academy Awards. I'm currently prepping for season five, which is the seventies, um, and hopefully, you know, after I finish the winners, we just get to anything world cinema. That's the most exciting part. When I go outside of the Academy's canon and just like, let's watch films from everywhere. So that podcast, The One Inch Barrier, is everywhere. Um, I can find uh, me on Twitter at Carlos Ohana, the podcast at One Inch Barrier. Um, 
I'm also on OnlyFans. I'm just kidding. I'm not. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And I'm not. Manish, thank you so much for giving me the chance to rewatch this film that's very close to my heart. It was um, it's the film I needed at this point in my weekend. I'm having a bad weekend. Thank you for giving <laughs> yeah. me this bomb of a film. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for speaking. I am delighted to welcome back to the podcast, Saleha. How are you? I'm really well, and I'm so, so happy to be back and speaking with you. This is, this is always such a pleasure and an honor. Yeah, same here. Um, it's, yeah, I love having you on the show, um, especially about a movie that I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on and really some great insights. Uh, when was the first time you saw Titanic? Do you remember? Yes, I, I have clear memories of this because um, it was uh, such a big deal. Um, a lot of our friends had seen it in the theaters because it was the movie event. And I lived in Abu Dhabi at the time. So films were censored there. So you didn't have nudity and like they take out the nudity and things like that. But um, so we had friends who were able to go see it with, you know, their older cousins or siblings or, you know, uncles or family members and things like that. So we watched it late. We watched it when it came out on VHS. Um, so like on videotape, because we didn't have like a DVD player. We weren't very well off. Yeah. Um, so we finally watched it. It was uh, a night, I think, when our parents were out. And we, my sister and I got to sit and watch the whole thing. And it's very, very long. But, you know, because we'd grown up, grown up watching, you know, um, the 90s Bollywood movies, the 80s right. and 90s yeah. Bollywood movies, which were longer, which ran closer to three hours. The length wasn't daunting for us. Um, but it was like one of the first kind of grown up, like English language movies we'd watched. So it was very, it was such a new experience for us. And uh, at the same time, it was this huge cultural phenomenon that everyone had been talking about for, you know, basically an entire year by that point. And it was like a big deal watching this movie. It was like the first thing I think we'd watched that felt like a big deal in a larger cultural sense. You know, like we were watching something that meant something to a conversation that was bigger than, oh, you know, this is, this is a nice movie or we liked this or we didn't like this, you know. And uh, yeah, it was huge. I remember the night clearly. I remember watching it on our like ancient TV, which would probably seem so small and like kind of like an antique now, you know, it was yeah. not one like cool flat screen TVs. It was one of those TVs with the big kind of butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but like even on that TV on VHS, it was such an overwhelming spectacle. It was, it was unlike anything we'd seen at that point of time. What was it like watching the movie so um, so many months after you know everyone else had been watching it? Did it feel like you're watching something really important or? Were you kind of like, oh, maybe it won't be as, you know, as good or as exciting as people were saying it had been? So I think things moved slower then in terms of the cultural conversations. Yeah. Would come in a little bit later. And we were also so young. We were like, my sister and I were like both single digit ages, you know. Right. Just like maybe, I don't know, six, seven, something like that. Um, like little. And, oh, wow. Okay. That's really young. <laughs> yeah. But like I... 
it, it's such a clear movie memory for me. You yeah. know, there's certain things that you remember so, so clearly. For me, like the first time I watched Lamhe, I, I remember clearly. The first time I watched uh, DDLJ, I remember clearly. Right. Yeah. The first yeah. time I watched Titanic, I remember clearly, you know. Um, and it was... Um, so, you know, we felt like, oh, finally we're catching up. You know, we can talk about this too because people have been talking about it for the last few months. So right. we... We finally felt like okay, we can we can say that we've got you know we've done this. We can talk about all the things that everyone had been talking about. And by this point, we knew all the like the nitty gritties of the plot because you know back then, if your friend watched a movie and you hadn't watched a movie, they would come and describe the whole plot. <laughs> You know, so, you know, if you had like a slumber party or a sleepover, they yeah. would tell you the entire plot and they would really give kind of this colorful graphic retelling. You know, they'd be like, this happens and then the camera is like this and then there's this one old man. He's not at all nice. So there's this one girl. They say she's pretty, but I didn't think she was pretty. <laughs> and then, you know, they describe all the outfits and how much skin they showed and all of these things, you know, because we grew up in kind of like a conservative uh, sort of community um, in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates so like those things were also like you know things that wouldn't even raise an eyebrow in young people today like I think back then for us it was like oh my god she painted like uh, he painted her naked you know even though like the nudity was edited out of the video we watched just the suggestion of that was so scandalous to us yeah yeah I mean I have I mean similar memories of that being a really high point of discussion amongst you know i mean i was I think around eight or nine um so a lot of people talked about that that scene and it was just like it made this movie so much more you know adult and uh you know sexy for us <laughs> even though now watching it it's so tame it's it's very tasteful and you know restrained yeah, uh, you see more nipple like at the nightclub. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it was just yeah, it yeah. was just such a big deal. And then the scene in the car when they go into the car and like you know her hands like do that thing with like the fogged up windows. Like that was just like mind blowing to us. Yeah, we were like, oh my yeah. god, are we supposed to be watching this? <laughs> like you know, we were just worried our parents would come in at any point because that was so scandalous. And yeah, you know now. Yeah it's completely different you know like you have much more kind of like scandalous things playing in like you know music videos basically that that are in you know g-rated pg-rated like hindi movies you know so it's like um it's 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 definitely a very different world right now than the worlds that i first watched titanic in yeah. So, you know, over the last, you know, 20 plus years, um, what's sort of been your, uh, like, takeaway from Titanic? Or, you know, if you've seen it a number of times, what's kind of brought you back to it? Honestly, it's just a great movie, despite, um, you know, the problems it has. Like, for instance, the dialogue is fairly clunky. Um, you know, James Cameron films, usually the dialogue is very kind of like, it's it's like we are conveying information to each other. It's very that, <laughs> right. you know. But, but despite that, despite the fact that you know what's going to happen, despite the fact that, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a story that's been told, you know, in one format or the other, it's a movie that grips you. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous filmmaking at that scale, you know. Like a lot of films these days, you know, we see entire cities collapsing. We see like the galaxy, you know, sort of being decimated, all of these things. But 
they don't have the visual and emotional heft of something like Titanic, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, there's such weight to every frame. There's uh, the use of, even with the use of CGI and all of these things, the, 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 the film never feels weightless. There's, there's, kind of a, there's kind of a gravity to it. You know, that pulls you in, that keeps you gripped. Like every time you watch the ship kind of, you know, that moment where the ship kind of breaks. Yeah. That still hits. Um, or the beginning, like the beginning where they're sort of underwater and they're seeing uh, the wreck of it, you know, the shipwreck, you know, sort of underwater. That still has such portent and like like an, like an ominousness to it. Like they tell you what's going to happen to the ship right from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so suspenseful you know how do they do that that's just that's ingenious filmmaking yeah yeah i totally i totally agree yeah the ship breaking in half and all the lights going out i think still one of like it still shocks me even i've seen this movie a million times uh and i I agree that i think that this movie just has that like x factor that people just want to keep revisiting it and you know, I mean, I think, of course, back then people were watching it many times in theaters, but even now, like, having just watched it a couple of days ago, I'm like, I kind of want to watch it again because <laughs> it's just like, it's just, there's just something about it. It's really even hard to pin down. There's, yeah, there's just, it has its own kind of magnetic pull. It, it's, it's, it's it pulls from so many films that has ex- that have existed before it, like all of these disaster movies, these kind of star-crossed lover movies, um, all of these kind of genres and like you know subgenres and uh, generic sort of interests uh, have existed, and it pulls from all of them. So you know, there's there's a feeling that the film wouldn't read as fresh, but it still does. Because it's it's its own thing, despite all of that. Like just the electricity of uh, young Leo DiCaprio and young Kate Winslet um, on that on that ship. Like it still hits you. There's really nothing quite like it. Um, yeah, I think they're making films that have that kind of uh, go for broke lavishness and. Um, sincerity and earnestness like this is like a completely unironic um old-fashioned like kind of storytelling and it's still it still feels charged and like i think like i'm you know a, as one would be much more jaded and cynical now than i was when i was six or seven years old but there is such a grandeur to watching this film like it it takes you into it you you want to be like oh this is hokey or oh this is sentimental but there's there's a pull to it that yeah. still feels that still feels innocent you know it doesn't feel cynical like despite the you know ostensible hokiness or whatever yeah. Um, so if you had to, you know, pinpoint one specific sequence or scene or line from the film that sticks out as your absolute favorite or like one you always think about when this movie comes out, what would that be? Oh, the end, right? Like uh, when she pictures herself with him, that still makes me cry. Yeah. You know, they're back on the ship, they're together, they're kissing, everyone's clapping. That, that you know, like I think still gets me um you know for me i think it's also like growing up on bollywood films like it wasn't like oh you know this is embarrassing to watch like this is too sincere or anything like that it just it felt like it felt like the most uh 
grand yet intimate kind of version of that for of a kind of storytelling that I was already used to and um I don't know it still hits it still it still feels so earned and yeah. uh, breaks your heart like it's like one of those smiling through your tears endings yeah. that that one doesn't see as much anymore you know I think that ending in in kind of a in kind of a in like a turn in a roundabout way gives this movie a happy ending even though you know of course it's such a you know we have you know of course it's such a tragedy and it's it's so sad and it's so emotional but seeing her you know reunite with jack in the dream or what you know whatever you want to call it a fantasy you know as she's sleeping um it gives this movie a happy ending and it kind of leaves you feeling like you know okay there's some there's it's romantic and it leaves you with a really i think warm feeling you know rather than just thinking about you know all the you know devastation and stuff it's like well you know we still have this memory or this this dream that you know, that we can that rose is sharing uh rose is having and yeah i think that's that ending is so powerful i think that's what really gets people to keep watching it because you know, it, look, it gives you that catharsis after, you know, an hour and a half of a disaster movie. Absolutely. I think it speaks to one of our most fundamental desires, right, as human mm-hmm. beings, which is to see the people that we've loved and lost one more time. Like, I think that's that's a desire almost all of us have. Like, we just want to be with the people we love. And the movie gives us that. The movie gives us that hope. It extends us that hope, even in the form of like a dream. And um, I think that's why the film continues to speak to us, because it um, it speaks to our most innocent, uh, most deeply held lifelong desires of wanting to get away, of wanting to start afresh, of being seen and being loved and having a grand adventure. And... Uh, being with the people we love once again, the people we loved and lost, finding them and being happy with them where we were happy um, long ago. Yeah, and that's so beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, Sal, where can people find you online and tell us about what you're working on these days? So you can find me on Sal and the Bad Pun, Sal and the Bad Pun on Twitter. That's where you can find me at. And uh, I am, so I've, if you go on there, you can find some of the stuff I've written and some of the other kind of podcast appearances I've done and things like that. And I'm so, so happy to be speaking with you, Manish. And I hope we get to do it again very, very soon. Me too. Absolutely. Thank you. So returning to the podcast is uh, Jason Schultz. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, uh, really excited to uh, talk to you. Um, so tell me about the first time you saw Titanic and, you know, what your history has been with it since. Yeah, sure. I have an odd history, I guess, with Titanic. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I love the film, but I actually didn't see it till I think about the April after it was released. Yeah. So like a good five or six months after the film had been released, it became a phenomenon. It was already a huge movie, won all the awards. Um, I didn't really have much of a reason for not seeing it, except I kept wanting to try and, I guess, find a date for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was I was in, you know, uh, high school, and I, was, I couldn't find a date for all those months because, you know, that was my high school life 
summed up in a nutshell. So eventually I just went with one of my best friends. You know, he'd already seen it a couple times. He'd gone with a few different people and he's like, dude, you know, you got to see this movie finally. And I'm like, okay, I'll go see it. So we went and saw it. I think it was double feature with it. And then we went and saw Lost in Space afterwards as well, just because we wanted to, you know, waste the day. So yeah, that was when I first saw it. I mean, I loved it then. I mean, I don't know why I waited so long, except I was stubborn. I figured, you know, I got to go finally and, you know, find a nice girl to go see this with. And yeah, it just didn't work. So I've seen it a handful <laughs> of times since though. So it, you know, it holds up. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of people on the podcast talking about seeing it really close to opening weekend. What was it like seeing it so many months after? Do you remember if the theater was still packed or? It was uh, a after afternoon show, so it wasn't packed, but there were still actually people there, which was surprising. Like I said, five, six months down the road, yeah. middle of the afternoon, uh, there was still maybe a quarter of the theater full at that point, which was shocking. Um, it was an interesting experience because I'd heard a lot about it. I mean, there wasn't, you know, the internet spoiling everything then, so I didn't have everything spoiled. I mean, I knew that the ship sank, so that was really yeah. from <laughs> on at least. Um, but yeah, there was, I guess, you know, all the hype around it, so maybe it didn't have as big of an effect on me as a lot of people maybe initially because I'd had like five or six months of hype and hearing how it was such a huge movie so great and all the awards and people had already you know had backlash against it yeah but I kind of went in with as much open mind as possible because I was a huge James Cameron fan anyways and yeah so it might have maybe didn't have the sort of I got to see this movie 38 times the next week effect like it did with everybody opening weekend but it was still fairly fresh it was still impressive you know it still kind of blew me away so yeah yeah. Um, so you say you're a James Cameron fan. What is it about his work that you really like? He knows how to make entertaining films. I mean, people always count him out. I mean, no matter what he does, it, he just knows how to tap into the audience in a certain way where we just, we're having a good time, regardless of what kind of movie he's making. I mean, I'd seen the Terminator films, Alien films, True Lies, The Abyss, all those at that point, and I loved them all for yeah. everything they brought to the table. And so I, I knew that this was something different for him. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a little bit, you know, this isn't going to be his action, action type movie. But I had enough faith in him that I was going to at least enjoy aspects of it. I knew it would at least be well made. Yeah. So I knew the effects and the sinking would be well made because at that point we already knew how much of a perfectionist he was. I didn't know how well the first half would work, which for me is what the whole success of the movie hinges on, is if that first half works or not the rest of the movie you know will either sink or you know swim at that point and for me it worked so, yeah thing. the um second half of the movie of course is like technical uh, you know really uh an achievement but you need that first half for the emotional you know buy-in for the for the movie um what are some of your favorite parts of the movie um well let's see there's i mean there's a lot i for example i like the love story even though People say it's cheesy, it's lame, they're, they're not fans of it. But I mean, if you think of love in real life, real love is cheesy and lame a lot of the time yeah. too. So <laughs> in that way it works. So I mean, just the, the chemistry between Jack and Rose is fantastic. Some of the little moments near the end that kind of, you know, get you choked up when the ship, ship is sinking, like the the mother and the children mm-hmm. and, and the old couple laying in bed together kind of thing. So there's just some of those small touches that a lot of big budget filmmaking might not think of. And so those little emotional moments where it's like, okay, I remember those people from earlier on and it kind of pays off in a sad way. And yeah, it's just Billy Zane 
going over the top. I mean, he he's chewing the scenery before it gets washed away. And I mean, he's a fantastic sort of villain in that movie. I still quote his, I hope you have fun together or I hope you enjoy your time together lying to people all the time. Just, because, <laughs> just the way he delivers that. It's just fantastic. Yeah. So Billy Zane, you love to hate him in that movie. And it works. Like I said, I mean, Cameron might not be the best writer, but he knows how to write something that people enjoy. So just the interactions with the characters, uh, I, I bought in immediately. And like I said, that's yeah. why the ship sinking works. I mean, there's other disaster films that don't work as well because you don't care about the characters, but people wouldn't have seen the movie dozens of times in theaters if they didn't care about Jack and Rose. So that romance is still the best part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting, um, you know, thinking about this movie, um, you know, with like someone like James Cameron, who's such a, he's a showman, you know, he, like you say, he's, you know, he knows how to make movies that people want to watch. Um, and, uh, I think even when he goes from, you know, something like science fiction, like Terminator or heart, like sci-fi horror, like aliens or the abyss, um, true lies, like there's just such a, like, he's, it's so populous. And I, and I don't mean that in the backhanded way. I know sometimes calling something populist or, you know, crowd-pleasing can be, like, a backhanded compliment. But um, I actually think, you know, he knows what gets people to watch his movies. And he really taps into that. And, I mean, even you know, even something going, you know, as going up to Avatar, you know, like, there's a reason why Avatar had that, you know, lasting impact in theater. Same with Titanic. Same with any of these movies. Um and I think he knew that you can't just do a uh, spectacle. You had to bring in, you know, you know bring in uh, the emotional part of it, too. Oh, well, I 100% agree. I mean, I'm a big fan of crowd-pleasing films. I mean, I like movies. I like movies that entertain me. Yeah. So if a movie entertains me, that's great. And there are certain directors that do it better than others. I mean, Cameron did it. Spielberg is a master at it. Hitchcock knew how to do it with all those films, even if they were dark and thriller. Yeah. He still knew how to please the crowd and get right. them you know, enjoying it. So, yeah, I mean, that I think that's a huge aspect to it. And, yeah, I mean, Avatar, people like to say, oh, we don't remember it or didn't deserve it or it only became big because of 3D. No, I mean, once again, there's that love story there. If people didn't buy into those characters, even if they're aliens, they wouldn't have bought into the rest of the movie. So he followed a bit of a similar formula to Titanic, but it worked for him because, I mean, we cared about, you know, the, the two main characters, Sully and, you know, I think Natiri, I think Natiri, the name was. yeah. Yeah, see, some people don't even remember. <laughs> remember it. Good. And oh, so if we yeah. didn't care about them, we wouldn't care about the planet getting destroyed. I mean, there's a lot of snark against it saying it's like Dances with Wolves or it's Fern Gully, but no, I mean, those movies weren't the biggest movies of all time. Yeah. Even if you give them 3D. So it's just, he knows how to connect with an audience as much as people don't like his writing or think it's too populist. The majority of the audience likes popular films, so they're yeah. going to go watch it and they just want to have a good time yeah um i i want to go back to uh to billy zane because i think he's uh truly i think a delight in this movie as i mean he's despicable of course but you know watching him choose the scenery is so much fun and uh he's really having um he's really putting a lot of a lot of himself he's putting a lot of effort in, into the role and um even for playing such a two-dimensional villain i think he's brings a lot of, um, you know, charisma to it. He, you kind of love to hate him because he's so awful and every everything he says is just so obnoxious. Um, and then even the when, you know, his really dark moments, it's truly, I mean, he really commits to it. Uh, 
And he's just one of a million great supporting actors in this movie, like Happy Bates, Francis Fisher, Victor Garber, of course, um, mm-hmm. Bill Paxton, Gloria Stewart. Like, <laughs> this movie is just, like, stacked with so many really awesome actors who are really just, like, committed to being, you know, in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, Billy Zane stands out because he gets to have the showiest role. Yeah. I mean, but you can see a bit of motivation in there because, I mean, he's arrogant. He's had his way a lot of times. So you can kind of see maybe a little bit, you know, if Cameron turned villainous in real life, he would be similar to Billy Zane because he's got this yeah. ego and he's like, he knows what he wants and he gets what he wants. But if all of a sudden that's taken from him, it's like, yeah, how do I react except I got to destroy what was, you know, what took it from me? Because he, he feels there's no reason why Jack should win Rose over him. Like, like what does this guy have to offer? He doesn't yeah. understand what true love is in a way. So you can see that sort of arrogance eating at him and the fact that he just feels desperate at the end. Well, he decides, well, I'm just going to kill them both then or because how does this work? Kind yeah. Of thing. So, yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of that hubris on display. I mean, with the shipbuilders and the people involved saying, no, it's not going to sink. So you can kind of see that, you know, why Cameron was the perfect man for it. I mean, I love his films, but we all know how big his ego is too. Right. Yeah. He gets that whole King of the world moment at the Oscars, which, you know, (laughs) it works in a couple of ways. He's quoting the movie, but it's because he felt at that moment, he was the King of the world. So you kind of like to see directors kind of feed into their own personas in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It it works. I mean, might as well, you know, write what you know in a way. So, yeah. I mean, the thing is like, in some ways he was King of the world at the time. I mean, it was the number one movie in America, no sign of stopping. And he won best director and best picture for it. Um, And uh, I think in some ways, like Titanic, the movie is a lot like Titanic, the boat, because, um, you know, I, I think everyone was thinking that this movie was going to fail big time and it would be a total fail, uh, total like embarrassment for everyone. But I guess unlike the the ship, this movie was actually a huge success and, you know, went on to become so such an iconic movie of the of the era. Basically, it's saying that James Cameron should have been the captain of the actual Titanic. I mean, and it was the sand. You know, Somehow it would have made it through that iceberg. So. Yeah, I think, you know, I think he probably thought that at some point. <laughs> He's like, if you only had me, you know, we would have made it through. But then he wouldn't have had the movie. So, yeah. Know, trade off. Uh, is there, do you have like a specific like line or sequence in the movie that is like your absolute favorite? Um, the part that really gets me is near the end right when the boat's starting to sink they're, they're trying to get everybody off and you know rose was in the lifeboat and she jumps back into the boat and races up and they meet each other and she's like you jump i jump remember because it quotes his line from the beginning and that moment still still gets me it still messes me up that's when i start getting kind of choked up yeah you're like hey you know what because at that point you're like oh hey you know maybe that's where she got off that's where she's telling the story you don't really know exactly how because you know she lives but you don't know right how jack's fate is and at that point you're like okay they're staying together this is not going to end good for at least one of them but you know they're, they're yeah. committed to each other so it was it was, that, it was that moment i think that made the love story hit and you know it was gonna be tragic but you're like okay i'm 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 all in now yeah that's an incredible moment i think it, i think you're right in that it adds a lot a little bit more suspense because it makes her survival just a little bit um more interesting because you know she's directly taking herself out of safety um so you're just like hey how's she how's she gonna survive here uh jason thanks so much this has been so much fun it's great to have you back on the podcast please tell us uh where people can find you online and kind of what you're up to yeah you can find me at a dry cool wit 
you know, on Twitter, on Instagram. That's pretty much where I am everywhere. And just finish up some schoolwork now. And then hopefully in the near future, I can drop uh, my own podcast or two. I might be starting up like two companion piece podcasts in a way. So I'm kind of still working on planning those out once this week of school is done. So fingers crossed it all goes well. Yeah, very cool. Looking forward to, to all that. Uh, yeah, thanks again. Well, thank you for having me. Hi, Amrita. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, talk to you again. Um, what's your What's your memory with Titanic? When was the first time you saw it? Okay, so Titanic for me, it's like a really clear memory, right? Like I don't usually have such clear memories about going to the cinema and watching specific movies. But for Titanic, I remember being uh, like a teenager, like a teenager maybe. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I do remember going to the cinema with two of my best friends and uh, one of their dads took us. And uh, he was very nice about it. Like he sat a couple of rows away from us so that we could have our own little <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, because uh, Leo DiCaprio was like huge even back then, right? Like he's, um, he's been a star for a very long time. So I just remember being a teenager, being with two of my best friends, sitting in Priya Cinema in Delhi. That's where we saw it. I even yeah. remember where. Um, which isn't hard because Priya was where everyone went to see all the English language movies back then in Delhi. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember all of it, you know. It was like, um, it was a magical experience, I think. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be like, you know, for me, it was similar where I saw it and it was totally, you know, transformative. Um, what, what about Titanic really has, you know, that really spoke to you at the time and, and since then? I mean, at the time when it came out, I remember uh, I, it, it was really sold to us as the greatest love story ever, right? Mm -hmm. Like you yeah. had the Celine Dion track um, was just playing constantly. Like you could not get away from it. Um, and I have more to say about that in a minute, but um, it was really an event. Like I, you know, I've, I've spoken about this many, many times before, but um, I feel like that kind of event cinema is a dying breed, sadly, for um, the present generation. Like, the most that I can think about is, like, maybe the Avengers or something. But um, we used to have these things all the time, you know, back in the day. When I mean, not to sound like <laughs> 700 years old, but uh, we used to have these event movies, you know, like, it was a huge cultural moment. And at least it was marketed as such. And it wasn't as cynically presented as some of them tend to be nowadays um i mean with all the tie-ins and stuff but it it tended to make uh, a case for sentiment back then and i think uh for us as 
very young teenagers. We just wanted to be a little bit grown up. We wanted to see this love story on screen. Uh, both Kate Winslet and uh, DiCaprio were just beautiful and they were somehow age appropriate for us because they weren't, you know, they were like in their early 20s, I suppose. Um, and so it really was a very young person's moment. And uh, I think that's what it was back then. And then over the years, I, I'm kind of shocked that just how long it's endured as a uh, cultural artifact, actually. Yeah, um, that's so... Yeah, I really, um, it really does surprise me. Well, it surprises me and doesn't surprise me because this movie was like, as you were saying, a cultural event. And, um, I think it was at the number one of the box office for 15 weeks or 14 weeks. Like, really. And you're right. We don't get that anymore. I mean, even the Avengers movies, they're number one for maybe a month or maybe six mm-hmm. weeks. And then, you know, they, something else comes and becomes number one at the box office and, you know, uh, but I also remember Titanic, hearing about Titanic being, you know, pl- like playing to packed houses well into the next year, like into the spring. And I feel like even like a- Avengers or Star Wars, like the audience attendance goes down, you know, and very quickly. It then just becomes like the rabid fans who want to see mm-hmm. it four times in theaters. Um, tell me more about your, uh, about your thoughts on Celine Dion and the theme song. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it really went through its phases, right? Because uh, you had that point where at one time, I feel like that was the one English song that everyone around the world knew how to sing, whether or not they even understood the words or not. Um, And it coincided in India with our economy opening up to the outside world and stuff. So MTV had just started. Uh, We had this um, Murdoch back channel called Channel V, which was an MTV ripoff. And both of them were just blaring the song 24-7 and all the kids were into it. And then over the years, you'd think it it would go away, but it actually hasn't because people still have such a strong memory of it. Um, And uh, actually, like a few years ago, I was living in Bangkok in Thailand. And uh, I went to bed one day and I woke up the next day and there had been a, uh, a military coup. <laughs> and uh, leading up to the military coup, we had these protests in the streets and people were coming out. And uh, they'd sort of taken over the major intersection in the middle of town. Um, it's this uh, place called Asok Junction. And basically, it was just blocked Uh, And they had like people in these uh, camping tents that were just staying there. And every evening at six in the evening, they would have this cultural program where all the the different communities of Bangkok would come together and they would put up these stage shows and um, there would be free food. And it was a very festive atmosphere. And they were sort of asking for a cultural revolution and a political revolution, actually, at the time. Mm -hmm. And... um, uh, on CNN, you would see that as, you know, like CNN reporters were wearing like flak jackets and talking about, oh, my God, it's so dangerous. You know, I'm reporting from like Bangkok, Thailand, where protesters have taken to the streets. Meanwhile, every day at 6 p.m., the evening's festivities would begin with 
Celine Dion singing no. <laughs> My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> it was literally the entire side of this giant mall that is at that intersection and it's an entire wall of like LCD screens. And then it would just light up with her face. <laughs> and it was just Celine Dion in the middle of this revolution, you know, halfway around the world. And uh, she's singing, my heart will go on. And that's how you know that the evening has begun. Um, and I remember laughing about it. But also, I, I remember being completely struck by just how long that song has endured and what it means for so many different people, you know, um, I mean, it could be a love song, but over here, it was just, it was a song about resilience, actually. That's how the ties were taking it, I feel. Um, yeah. So it really is something that has just endured. And then even on on social media, you know, all these years later, you can still rile up an internet crowd by asking why Rose wouldn't make space on the door. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the ocean i mean he literally forced you know like scientists to conduct experiments and be like well <laughs> the two people couldn't use it as a flotation device etc and then there was that story about james cameron which is like the most james cameron story where you know somebody wrote in and said the stars were all wrong in the sky and so he edited uh the movie and the dvd right right sure that the stars were in the right position i mean it's all just insane and i can't believe that we've been talking about this movie for how many years has that been i think it's been t almost 25 years wow yeah. yeah um that's i mean that's a really incredible story you just told and i did not even could not even prepared for that story <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, I mean, I, you know, that's, that's beautiful and so surprising, but also not, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think like, I always tend to think of Titanic as this like huge American cultural touchstone, but I mm -hmm. mean, that story really speaks to its, um, impact global, which something I, I don't really think to consider that often. Um, but like, was the, in your memory, was like the fan base, like as rabid as it was here, where you're just like obsessing over, you know, the ship and the stars and the room and all that. And was it as, you know, as big, like, in your, you know, your age group as it was for, for us over here? I think so. But I think the things that, um, my crowd of people were obsessing over wasn't necessarily the craft of the film, mm -hmm. uh, but rather, you know, because we were used to a diet of Hindi cinema. Right. Um, and for us, it's always sentiment and emotion, you know, like if it doesn't connect with you emotionally, then that's not a movie that you can have a lasting relationship with. And, um, Something about the fact that it was a love story and it was a woman who was in that particular uh, set of circumstances, you know, where she was being, um, she was basically in an arranged marriage situation, correct? Right, right. Um, which is something that a lot of Indians instinctively understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and she didn't want to be in it, which, you know, again, like when you're a teenage girl in India and you're thinking about marriage, you know that there is a, um, there's a possibility for an arranged marriage, but that's not something that you hope for. 
Um, so you're kind of hoping for somebody like Jack, you know, somebody beautiful and adventurous and surprising, um, who is also just, you know, rapidly in love with you and would die for you, basically. So um, I think it just fed into a lot of um, an unexpected, unexpected for, I would say, probably like James Cameron. I, I can't imagine that he was thinking about its larger cultural resonance right. uh, halfway across the world. Um, because you're right, this is a very American film. You know, it's about a very American tragedy. I mean, the Titanic has a space in the American imagination that it absolutely does not occupy in the Indian imagination. So I don't think we were really thinking about like this giant ship and a, um, you know, a cruise ship that's meeting an iceberg. Uh, first of all, like uh, cruising for Indians, like that's a relatively new um, activity because back in the day, especially in the nineties, when this movie came out, um, we had just joined the capitalist economy. So before that, there was perhaps like a tiny percentage of people who would, who could afford to go on an international cruise like that. Um, so it wasn't a culture that they were uh, necessarily familiar with. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the idea of a young love and uh, a tragic love um, and a woman who remembers that even at the end of her life and after having lived uh, a very different, happy life, um, completely divorced from her origins. I mean, these are all things that I think really connect to the Indian sensibility. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, really, um, that's a really great point. Um, and uh, it kind of reminds me of... Um, you know, I feel like a lot of Indians also really like feel a connection to Princess Diana. Yeah. Um, so it reminds me of that where it's just like she's in this like, you know, strange, horrible marriage and a lot of Indians just really feel connected to her. Um, and I think same with, uh, with Rose here. Um, what, like, what was, what would you say is your favorite, um, like moment or line from the movie or section of the film that like, like really this stands out for you? Um, I, you know, I haven't rewatched this film in many, many years, but one of the things that I always remember is the difference between the upper deck and the lower deck. Um, and it was, it was vibrant and it was wonderful that moment where Rose is introduced to the lower decks and uh, she realizes that there's an entire other world out there one in which perhaps she fits better than the one from which that she comes. Um, and she enjoys it. And I don't know if she actually understands everything that she, uh, that she meets below yeah. stairs, you know, like I, I think she's entirely too privileged to actually understand that these are the people who would basically drown first. Uh, but she does understand that, her life up till then was incredibly sheltered and limited. And I think being thrown into the chaos of the lower decks, um, it, it really is a transformational point for her. Um, and I remember seeing that and I remember thinking that is amazing, even as I, as I was watching it. 
And I think over the years, the reason why that particular scene has struck uh, has stuck with me um, is because I have felt that way a number of times, you know, like coming from a very sheltered background and then uh, being able to participate in the world um, and understanding that that is another kind of privilege that would have been denied to me because of, you know, certain other privileges right. that I was born with. Yeah. So um, I think like that is something that really sticks with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, yeah, really powerful moment. I think a lot of people can connect to that. Um, thank you so much for sharing all this, uh, you know, with, with us. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you online and what are you up to these days? Oh my God, I'm up to so many things. I'm kind of tired <laughs> thinking about it. Um, um, you can find me, uh, well, this is my Bollywood podcast. It's called Khandan. I co-host it with my friends and we talk about um, Hindi film mostly, but also streaming content and stuff. Uh, and you can find us on all platforms. Um, and I also have a teeny tiny YouTube channel called Amrita by the Book, where I discuss books. Great, yes, uh, love the love the podcast and the channel. So um, hope you know, hope people can check those out because they are amazing. Uh, Amrita, thanks again. It was lovely to chat with you again. Thank you so much for inviting me, Manish. This was so much fun, and I've been waiting to tell that story about Thailand <laughs> and Celine Dion for years. So thank you for giving me the platform to do that. I am really excited to welcome the host of the 300 Passions podcast and writer for In Session Film, Gem Cut Online, and Keith Loves Movies, Zita Short. How are you? Oh, thank you very much for inviting me on today. I'm doing very well. Yeah, so I'm so excited to uh, talk to you, especially, uh, you know, you've been working in the kind of uh, romance movie space in your podcast and in your writing with In Session Films. So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about Titanic. Um, when was the first time you saw the film? So I believe I was 12 and it was at a party. It had just been put on. It was nearing the end of the night or the party and they had decided to group all of the children together and to make us watch it. And I think it was quite a good way to react to it for the first time because at that point I had no idea who Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio were. I didn't know about the Academy Awards. So I really was looking at it through an unclouded perspective. Yeah. And I can recall disliking it immediately. <laughs> Yeah, um, and how long ago was that? Ooh. Oh, I suppose that would be me revealing my age, which I don't <laughs> want to do, but it has been a while, and yeah, I yeah. do remember I didn't see it again for quite a few years, and I think when I rewatched it, it was because I was going through Academy Award winners. So I looked at it with more scrutiny that time, and I tried to pick it apart, and... I considered the fact that it didn't receive a screenplay nomination, which seemed to make a lot of sense to me based on the fact that the characters are so thinly drawn and the 
it's just shamelessly emotionally manipulative in a lot of ways but in a really clumsy way i understand that all melodrama is essentially founded on the principle of emotional manipulation and when it can do that well i, I really respect it but with this movie i didn't laugh i didn't cry i didn't care about the central romance and Jack and Rose just seem like these constructs. They're both pretty young people, but there's not that much going on beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do think that um, these characters are um, thinly drawn. And, uh, you know, I I see your comparison to uh, melodrama, and I find that to be really interesting for you, um, you know, when if when a film is kind of as successful at you know melodrama and this kind of story, um, what is like? What would you say is the uh, like the things you look for when a movie is uh, successful at, at this kind of thing? Well, I would say I saw an affair to remember yesterday, which mm-hmm. is one of the top melodramas when we think about Hollywood putting out that sort of film. And I don't think it's perfect, but it did succeed in getting me to care about the characters' lives. And I was concerned about little things like Terry being able to get a job after her accident. And I think Leo McCary very smartly includes scenes where we see her serving as a choral director for a bunch of children. We see how her life has been irrevocably changed by this horrible accident occurring. And yes, the film is not realistic in many ways, and I don't necessarily look for that with melodrama. But I think in Titanic, everything is drawn in such broad strokes that it's quite difficult to really care about anything. It's so obvious that, oh, Jack is this lower-class boy but then we get this romanticization of the working class, which came across as really false to me because mm. James Cameron wants to say, oh, look, the working class people, they're having fun. They get drunk and they party. And then, oh, these upper class people, they're just having these horrible parties where everybody talks about dull subjects. Statements on class didn't seem all that deep oh, it's bad when rich people look down on poor people. He didn't seem to have that much to say beyond that. And uh, particularly Rose, I just don't think there was that much investigation of her motivations in getting involved with this lower class guy. And when Billy Zane is revealed to be abusive, it does just feel like he's using physical abuse as a plot device instead of it being something that's actually important in terms of informing the way that she looks at the world. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting um, because uh, I believe you and I, I think you're a little younger than I am. Um, That's my guess. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure. Uh, So I, I think it's interesting because, you know, this is a movie that I, you know, in some ways grew up with. A lot of people in my age group, this is a movie that you know, we grew up with, and so all these things are just a fabric of the pop culture landscape. But it's interesting to um, hear you talk about it because, um, 
you know, you didn't grow up with that. Like, it wasn't a movie that everyone in your grade talked about. And, you know, you saw it years later, I'm presuming, um, on video at a party, which is... So I, I think it's really interesting to hear your perspective about it because, you know, you come into it with really fresh eyes and without much attachment to it from childhood. So I think that's really interesting, um, and especially to see how it plays to you know, people who kind of go into it not having, you know, the his, the history with it or the attachment to it. Um, was there any part of the film that you enjoyed or any part that you found, okay, maybe this whole thing doesn't work, but like this one particular scene or this one sequence really stuck out to me? I will admit that I do enjoy the very famous theme song. I do think that My yeah. Heart Will Go On can be quite stirring but I often enjoy listening to it outside of the context of the film yeah but that doesn't change the fact that I do think that it is one of those really good emotional ballads and you got so many of those in the 90s and I can see why it did become such a radio hit so I think that does help at some of the moments when James Cameron is just trying to get across pure emotion having this song that even though, yes, you could say it's a bit on the nose, the lyrics that Celine Dion is singing are meant to get across how the characters are feeling. But I think that helps him to get around some of the weaknesses in the script at a lot of points. So it was a smart decision to include that sort of love song within this framework. I, I think it's something that, you know, you, like, I remember, you know, people leaving the theater with that song playing and just having that emotional experience of, you know, the song playing as you're leaving and that really sticks in your mind. And, you know, like, what, you know, back in the late 90s, people would see this movie over and over again. Like, I, you know, um, definitely I had friends who saw it multiple times from December when it came out through, I think, like, through the summer, I think. So it was one of those things that, like, it was an event movie, and I think that song really helps to, you know, it keeps it, you know, it's such an earworm, you know, like it gets in your head, and then you're like, oh, I want to, you know, it kind of pulls you back into the movie because the song is so uh, memorable and emotional, yeah. Um, So, you know... Uh, have you seen a lot of movies with uh, Kate Winslet or Leonardo DiCaprio since? Oh, like, yes, has I your opinions, you know, do, do you find them to be, like, kind of better actors than this movie uh, requires of them to be? Yes, I think so. They are not just one-dimensional pretty people. I do think there is a reason why they have had careers beyond this, yeah. rather than ending up like no offence to him, but Sam Worthington, who was in Avatar and then didn't really manage to spin that out into a successful career as a leading man. I will admit that Winslet is not my favourite actress, but I do think she has made some very canny decisions in terms of the people that she's worked with. And I do think you look at something like Little Children And that script just gives her a lot more latitude to work with. Whereas I do really feel like she is boxed into being pretty young ingenue in Titanic. I honestly don't know if that's the best fit for her sort of talents. I've always found that she's much better at working with quite 
thorny characters who are quite uncomfortable in the situation that they're in, which I suppose Rose is like that when she's around the other upper class people. But when she's meant to be throwing her head back at the parties with the lower class fun people, it doesn't quite work for me. And I think as she has moved on, she has found better fits for her talents. And obviously this helped to launch her as a superstar. So maybe she wouldn't have had those opportunities without Titanic. And then in terms of DiCaprio, I'll admit he is very pretty. He's very beautiful in the way that all young matinee idols are. And I almost get annoyed by the fact that he tries to or tried to resist his own prettiness in order to be taken seriously, which is what quite a lot of handsome leading men do in order to earn awards or earn respect. And I think, no, you should take advantage of the fact that you're attractive and be like one of those old Hollywood leading men. Their whole thing was that they were handsome. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's kind of this like uh, interesting um, thing that yeah, a lot of teen heartthrobs have to do to be taken seriously. I mean, the thing is like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the late '90s, 2000s, like he was. I mean, he's kind of a joke, you know, when it came to you know being like being seen as a serious actor, partially because of Titanic. Uh, he was just sort of dismissed as this pretty boy, and it really wasn't until he was working with Scorsese that people took him seriously. It's sort of an unfortunate thing of you know how these actors are are received. So, do you have any final thoughts on um, Titanic or um, James Cameron, the actors, anything? I would just say when you talk about its cultural importance. I do think that my reaction to it might have been different if I had seen it as a less cynical 12-year-old, if I had been (laughs) younger, maybe, and I had had that in-theatre experience. It might have enchanted me in a different way, and I might be able to look past its flaws. It might just be the fact that I saw it first and wasn't super into it just because I was very cynical at that time. And then second, as somebody who was looking to be a film critic, and so I was very into dissecting it. And I will fully admit that there are plenty of other flawed romantic movies that I saw at a younger age, like Ryan's Daughter, where I'm very willing to overlook all of the problems just because it did form a strong attachment for me. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Um yeah, I think uh, that's that's a really great point. Um, and so, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show and you know sharing your perspective on the film. Uh, where can you all find you online, and what are you up to these days? Well, I'm on Twitter at zeta underscore short, and then the podcast, as we previously referenced, should be available on all platforms. Things like Anchor and Apple Podcasts, and Manish will be joining me for an episode on Cleopatra in a few weeks. So that should be fun. We really got into that one. Yes, oh, that's so much fun to talk to, and I can't wait for people uh, to hear it. So I am welcoming back 
uh, to the podcast, Dave Giannini. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. Yeah, we've uh, we've recorded on the show a couple times before. We've uh, yeah. Podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. When Hair Met Sally, which was when we switched roles. Um, oh yes, French that's right. kiss. Great <laughs> memories, all of, of you know long ago time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so dave tell me about you know your your take on titanic the first time you saw it and sort of what's been your history with it yeah it's interesting when i first saw it what this week came out in 97 so i was i was like 18 when this movie came out um and i remember it was I, I think people may not remember how just how big leo was like leo's always been a big star but like he was like the closest thing we've had in that generation to a matinee idol like yeah. he would show up on screen and women would scream like if you went opening night like they would just be screaming in the audience and this is like a real thing that happened in both this and romeo and juliet so it's like quite a quite a feeling to be in a theater for for a reaction like that uh, and i was there opening night course um and honestly wasn't expecting that much i think because like when you think of grand romances james cameron isn't who you think of right he's yeah. like an action director he's like a in, in some ways a quote-unquote like guys guys movie director movies like aliens you know um but i remember being really impressed with this at 18 and thinking this was just amazing i think i saw it three times in the theater wow. uh, some of that may have been my obsession with kate winslet which has not gone away sure. um so <laughs> So that that played a part for sure, um, but also just the like spectacle of it. Like there are, I've been talking about this a lot recently because now movie theaters are starting to reopen again, and like there's some movies that you're just like, yeah, this needs the biggest screen, the loudest sound possible. And like this at its core is a romance, but it's also a disaster movie. Yeah. Uh, and even in the beginning, he really takes his time, like giving you the scale of everything. And I remember even now watching it, being very impressed by how, how much time Cameron took to really show you, like, it, you know, that was a running joke with this when he came out, right? The boat sinks. Like that's the spoiler. Right. Um, but he really takes his time, like leading up to that, like that could have, this could have been a shorter movie, but instead he wanted to focus on the romance and build up someone that you care about. Um, and, it's interesting watching it this time. Like, I still love it, but like, I don't think I realized maybe at 18, I didn't even know what this was, but I didn't realize like how much of this is like a straight up melodrama. Mm -hmm. Like this is, it, it's a movie that in its, in its acting is not really going for realism because like no. everything is so heightened. Uh, and both Leo and Kate are tremendous, subtle actors. Uh, but that's not what this movie is. And I was really struck by that watching it this time. Like if you watch it like a, you know, uh, like a Merchant Ivory movie, like you're going to be like, what is going on? But if you watch this, like it's an action movie that happens to have good actors and a great love story, then I think you can just kind of dive in and enjoy it. Yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely do agree with that. I, I think what's really interesting about, um, you know, about the sort of like human angle of the movie is like how much James Cameron is trading in archetypes and how he's, I think, using that to his, to his advantage in a way that I think a lot of these, this movie's detractors don't really get because they think the like, you know, I, I think everyone kind of defaults to, oh, this is not, this isn't realism. These characters are so thin, whatever, but. I think he I think he employs archetypes in order to um, 
really draw you into the story so that you can, it's like an easy way into the story and then you can appreciate all of the scale of the ship, the scope of the tragedy, and then of course the last hour and a half, you know. Um, I think this movie wouldn't really work if it was just the sinking, you know, if it starts with, you mm-hmm. know, people on a ship and then it hits the iceberg, I think you just kind of be, it would be like kind of any kind of, um, blockbuster these days that doesn't have any human stakes to it, uh, where right. you're just like, yeah, I can appreciate it. You know, the effects are really cool, you know, et cetera. It's really exciting, but there's just no, like, there's no heart to it. I think he, he brings heart in a way that I don't think he really has done, um, you know, since. Uh, yeah, or and before maybe even. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe the abyss is the only one I can think of that has the level of heart that this does. But I think, yeah, you're a great point that, like, yeah, these characters are thinly drawn. Uh, yeah. That's that's what you can tell. You tell a movie is really great is if you can listen to people, the detractors, as you called them, and go, like, yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's still wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you make these characters truly complex, I don't honestly, I don't think the movie works. You need very quickly to know who you're rooting for, right? Billy Zane has to be the worst man in the world. He just has to be. Because if there's a moment where you're like, well, maybe, other than the fact that Billy Zane is beautiful, if there's any other reason for you to go like, well, maybe she should stay with him, then the last hour and a half, which is like a gigantic chase sequence, uh, (laughs) which I forgot. (laughs) How long that goes on, not in a bad way, but just like, oh, my God, this is still going. Um, I think if that's happening, then you don't buy into this couple and you have to. It is a more than anything. This is a love story. So if you're not behind Rose and Jack, this movie completely falls apart and it just becomes, well, let's watch a big boat sink when it hits when it hits an iceberg, I guess. Like, yeah, I think that's a lot of what people were kind of expecting, because like. There was a lot of publicity about this movie, but, like, there was also a lot of, like, well, it's probably just going to be a disaster movie, like, akin to, you know, the Poseidon Adventure. Like, you know, something like that for, like, these 70s disaster films. Really not what it is. It's Even though that last part is a lot of the movie, it's like, you know, 40% of the movie is, like, after after all this horrible stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't have that love story... None of this matters, and you would, even though it would be big and brash and bold, you would still kind of tune out from it, right? right? If you don't have a reason to hang on to to Jack and Rose, then none of this works at all. And I really think the framing device actually does a lot of work to sell the romance. Something I just kind of was thinking about um, when I watched it again is like, because this is sort of played as the older Rose's memory, I think it's sort of. Uh, excuses maybe some of the more like thin characterizations and so all the archetypes because it's it's her memory it's sort of like you know we all filter our memories through our own experiences and stuff like that so I think that like and also sets up that like not only was this a huge gigantic event in history but also like personally it meant a lot to this woman that this this experience meant a lot to her and again it brings you into the titanic it humanizes a lot of the um a lot of the survivors and a lot of the the victims of the of the accident uh because then you know you know then it it means something to the audience that you know she lived through it and this is what she took away from it 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, that idea about memory because, like that, that makes total sense to me. It's not something that was like at the top of my mind as I was watching this, but I was just thinking about it as you were speaking. It's like, yeah, if you had if you had an abusive ex, it doesn't mean there was nothing ever good about that person. There were no good times, but when you look back on that. You're yeah. going to be like that bastard. Uh, and that's going to be all that you remember about him. And if you met someone and they were really good to you and they died tragically before, honestly, before they had a chance to screw up, right. like, oh, of course, the <laughs> ultimate man. Like, no one could ever be better because they literally can't. Yeah, like, right, right. Like, I mean, if you watch, uh, if you watch Jack in this movie, like, he doesn't do anything mean or wrong to her the entire time he is supportive of her he is with her he's willing to give up everything or like to take these giant risks that could literally end up with him losing his life like he is the perfect romantic idol so for her to look back on this makes sense that they would be really thinly drawn um and and you're right there is a lot like more than i remember actually of this kind of setup um, the movie takes longer, like, you know, the introduction of Jack and Rose takes longer than I remember, you know, there's, there's a lot of the like reclamation project and the hunting for this diamond. I was like, wow, this is going on with where are Jack and Rose? Yeah. And yet, yeah. Yeah. I remember when I saw it in the theater, I never had a moment where I was like getting impatient. Right. Cause it, it is a movie that like very cleverly like slowly unfolds itself and it never it's never in a rush even though and it must be tempting when you make a movie like this to get to the iceberg because you know that's what everyone is waiting for but like james cameron not exactly someone i would term like a patient or a subtle filmmaker and yet in this movie like he really does take his time and i was really impressed with that like if you look at his action movies like things happen really quickly like the attacks happen the blood and the gore and all that stuff and here it's just like no we're gonna we're gonna introduce our two characters we're gonna show the situation they're in we're gonna show their very romantic meeting and it's gonna slowly get there and i I really respect cameron for that actually yeah yeah and then I mean, it especially works so well because the last half of the movie is almost relentless. Like, it, flew, yeah. it, fl- it flies by, you know, even though it's an hour and a half of, yeah, ship sinking, sure, but, like, every little piece of that just flies by and it feels so... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much suspense there. Um, what, like, what's, like, a sequence or a line or a moment from the film that always kind of sticks in your memory? Well, I mean, this may seem kind of silly, uh, but the moment I really love in this movie, maybe more than anything else, it's it's right when that breakneck pace begins, mm-hmm. um, is when, you know, he's handcuffed uh, and he can't get out and she's looking for the key, right? There's a lot of comedic moments there. Yeah. But maybe the most kind of lovely and comedic moment to me is the moment with the axe. Like one that they take the time to be like, okay, practice over there and she yeah. clears <laughs> it up. And there is... There's a choice that both Winslet and Cameron make uh, in the moment where she brings down the axe to, like, break the the chains for him, where they didn't have to do this, but they show her closing her eyes uh, <laughs> as she strikes the axe. So it's not just a, like, raw, raw, powerful moment, but it is a moment of luck involved yeah. in this love story, too. And I love that moment. Like, she gets herself together and does the things she's supposed to do, but she's not perfect. Yeah. Right? She, she takes her time. And of course, you know, there's a thousand memorable moments. There's the, the hand on the glass. There's the draw me like your French girls. Like this is this is one of the most quotable, memorable movies yeah. of yeah. my lifetime. Like this is huge. So like you could pick like you could literally go. This is a movie. It would be a very long podcast. But you could go scene by scene. You could do a scene by scene podcast on this. And really yeah. 
get into it because there's so much going on. Like maybe more than anything Cameron's ever done, he like fills this with subtext and fills this with clues. Even though strangely, it's a movie that doesn't need clues. Like you know what's going to happen. Right, right. Everybody knows what's going to happen, and yet there's all this discussion about luck and about I'm so lucky to be on this ship, and isn't this going to be great? It's yeah. the best thing ever. The unsinkable ship, you know, all this stuff. And he like really piles it on here. Uh, but yeah, but there's just, there's so much in this movie. And I was thinking there was, there's only like one or two things that like uh, didn't age well for me. And I've, God, I've watched this movie like at least 10 times, but it's mm-hmm. been a while since uh, in between this time and last time. And I forgot how many mentions uh, she had of like, oh, I feel like a slave. It's a slave <laughs> ship. And I was like, Ugh, this like pasty white lady talking about slavery. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. I remember seeing this and I, I never noticed it. It didn't enter into my cognitions at all but i'm watching it now and it's like yeah yeah talks about herself as a slave and i'm like i mean i get it you don't want to be in a relationship with this violent man that is bad clearly but like you're not oh can we just reel it in yeah yeah that's (laughs) i know that's always the one line that makes me cringed and uh but you know the 90s were the 90s honestly i really don't doubt that a woman of that position it would say something like that because i bet she you know i mean rose is great but she's a white woman (laughs) she's a wealthy white woman so she still has all those uh biases but i still i don't think that's an intentional (laughs) no no it's definitely not no absolutely (laughs) not um and i think you know the other thing that uh not that sage poorly but the other thing that always comes to mind when i think of this movie is like the the silverware bit like just start from the outside and move in i think that's a really sweet uh moment from uh from kathy that's how i learned (laughs) yeah i mean kind of helping helping him along because she's new money she had to learn all this stuff and it's a really it's a really quick but a really really sweet moment between two characters who don't really know each other very well um and i like that in movies where someone just helps someone to be helpful like Mm -hmm. she has nothing to gain from this she has no interest in him other than he seems like a nice 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 kid uh let me help this guy out and that's always been a nice moment to me you know class solidarity that's right (laughs) well thanks david this has been absolutely wonderful uh where can people find you online and tell us about your uh, million podcasts (laughs) there's so many and they're, they're they keep growing um so you can find me on Twitter, unfortunately, uh, at Darn That Dave. Uh, let's see, what podcast do I do? I do um, Queer and Now with you. Um, yeah. I do Off Screen Death, um, uh, and I do Awards Don't Matter. Um, you can find those all on Twitter. I'm starting another one, but we're not going to get into that yet because it's not even up yet because I'm a crazy person. Um, but yeah, just follow me at Darn That Dave, and everything that I either write or podcast about will be on there. Uh, you'll get annoyed with it very quickly. I know I do. Uh, but feel free to give me a follow. I'll be happy to talk to you. Well, I am so, so excited to welcome back Aaron Fraser to the podcast. How's it going? Good, good. How are you, Manish? I'm doing really well. So I'm really, really excited to have you on the show again. Um, so what's your, uh, you know, what's your history with Titanic? When was the first time you saw it? And, you know, how has it been over the years for you? Um, I... I saw it in theaters in 1997. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure many people have said that, you know, because who who didn't see this movie in theaters in in 1997? Unless you were too young, yeah, uh, or you know, you you had to wait until you got that like double pack of VHSs. That iconic VHS set, yeah. 
such a long movie. It took two VHSs. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw it in theaters uh, with like a friend of mine at the time. I was in elementary school. Uh, and I remember just like everyone was obsessed with this movie. You know, like even the boys at school were obsessed with this movie. Uh, and it just, it felt like, I don't think I realized at the time, like what a big cultural moment it was. And I look back on it now, you know, it, it just like with this huge sense of nostalgia. And I remember loving the movie at the time, but I think kind of years afterwards, as I became kind of a more quote unquote, serious film goer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah studying movies in university i think i kind of drank the kool-aid of you know titanic is this overblown self-indulgent uh you know kind of melodramatic romance that has a really terrible script and and then kind of i think as i and and i and i i had that feeling about i think a lot of popular films uh so it wasn't just titanic uh, but a lot of popular Hollywood films, as I was trying to, I don't know, like maybe prove to myself that I was right, a right. serious film goer who, you know, was interested in French New Wave. <laughs> 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 that like this sort of thing, you know, was beneath me. But I I eventually got over that and I think embraced, started to embrace a lot of, a lot of popular Hollywood movies, which I think, I think people can hear now in the kind of, um, film in, in my appreciation for a film on on my podcast is I actually am now very <laughs> invested in popular cinema, and you know I think I think what made me come around to Titanic again was actually James Cameron. It was just kind of my realization that James Cameron is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he just kind of has a license to print money, and he like no one makes movies like him, and he just understands how to kind of take I think really kind of basic emotions and and basic feelings and just rip them so large (laughs) he there is a sincerity to his filmmaking that I think is kind of unparalleled with someone kind of working in big budget genre films I even went through the phase of thinking Titanic was like overrated um or but I, I think for me it was more like wanting to seem like uh, wanting to seem like cool, you know, mm-hmm. or it was like it was like peer pressure, you know, where everyone was like, "This movie's bad," and like there was a there were a couple of years where I didn't really watch it that much, and it really wasn't until like you know it started to get you know better editions on on Blu-ray and stuff mm-hmm. that I like paid attention to it again. And you know, you and I are both fans of the Blank Check podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So their episode on Titanic from like, years and years ago was one of the like ones where I was like, oh, yeah, like, Titanic rules. And, yeah, like, ever since then, I'm like, yeah, like, I'm just going to own it and not be so scared. <laughs> um, and, I, I mean, the thing is that, like, what I love about Titanic and other movies like this is um, that, like, how much populist cinema can be, you know, really well done and well executed and have a lot of meaning for people. And I think James Cameron is one of the best at that because... Yeah. Um, you know, like, I think all of his movies, I mean, I I think they all have this, like, really 
strong emotional core alongside, you know, the special effects or the action mm-hmm. choreography. I mean, I know I am like the biggest Avatar defender that I know. Me <laughs> or too. At least one I of them. love yeah. Avatar. I'm so excited for these sequels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially he's reuniting with, with Kate Winslet. So that's, that's exciting in, in and of itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think James Cameron is like, you know, he's just one of those guys from that, you know, that era that just have, like, are able to make really meaningful movies in the lens of, you know, something that's just supposed to be, like, a blockbuster. I mean, Titanic feels more like a passion project than, say, yeah. you know, True Lies, but still... I love True Lies. I mean, True Lies is great, but, like... I mean, I feel like he put blood, sweat, and tears and any, yeah. everything else into Titanic in a way that I don't... I, I think maybe Avatar and the sequels might be the next after that, but... Right. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's insane, like, how much he is just, like, able to balance those two things together. But the thing that I, I used to make fun of James Cameron for, that now I actually think is, like, kind of fascinating, and maybe, like, his for me, his directorial stamp that makes him such an interesting filmmaker is that his films are all about how technology divides people. Mm. How technology kind of is the impact that it has on our humanity and on human connection. And while he's making these films, I think just like very much about the dangers of technology at the same time, he needs to develop like the most up-to-date kind of film technology possible yeah. in order to make them. And it's just like the way in which those two things kind of seem at odds with one another, but really when you get into it and when you when you look at his films, they're kind of they aren't. I find really, really fascinating. Also, he's just like a good Canadian boy. He's just a good Canadian <laughs> boy, I think. At heart. Yeah, um, yeah. And, so, and like, and Titanic is, I think, exemplifies that uh, pretty, pretty easily in that, like, it's this giant boat. It was this huge achievement, but it's the thing that, like, both brings these two people together, but also ultimately separates them. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. And the way, yeah. I mean, the way that this film also combines, you know, this this really effective and, and, you know, melodramatic love story uh, with an action movie is just like, you know, and he believes every bit of it. You know, these lines are not as goofy, I think, as people make them seem to be. I think actually DiCaprio and Winslet say them with like so much conviction that it's so easy to make fun of them, but they're actually like, they're just like, they're just so iconic. To me, like they kind of remind me of like, you know, Rob Hansen and Kristen Stewart in the sense of, like, you know, they're teen idols at the time, you know, similarly to Pattinson and Stewart, they gave great performances before, obviously, and then Mm -hmm. they, but they blossomed into these, like, incredible actors who are always choosing really interesting movies. I mean, I think it's like they just kind of proved everyone wrong who was kind of wrote them off as, like, you know, heartthrobs and, you know, that have no... No value to it. Um, so you bring up Canada, which brings me to, <laughs> um, you know, Miss Celine Dion. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I just want to hear everything you have to say about, about her, about the song, about a- anything. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I love Celine Dion. Um, I, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, she is kind of at this point, 
larger than life and maybe a bit of a cliche. And I think like Titanic, there were moments when I think kind of popular culture maybe kind of dismissed or turned on Celine Dion. But I think we're back in a like very pro Celine Dion space, which which makes me so happy because I think she is just I mean, she's iconic and Canada has given the world so many you know, kind of adult contemporary queens, and she is kind of the biggest of of them all. And yeah. I, I have so much respect for her. I grew up um, taking French immersion, and so uh, we listened to a lot of Celine Dion in school <laughs> because you know she was straddling both you know kind of French Canada and and English Canada, and so she could buy, kind of be an easy touch point, I think, for <laughs> my my teachers growing up. For us, and I remember when I was in elementary school, one of my friends, her parents, won the opportunity to meet Celine Dion, and they also got, like, all of her albums at the same time. <laughs> and so we would just listen to those albums over and over and over again and, like, look at the picture, like, the framed picture of my friend's parents and Celine Dion. I know that wow. sounds so silly but it was like <laughs> it was so cool as a kid yeah and i just she she's the epitome of glitz and glamour and she came from a small like suburb outside of i believe it's montreal uh in quebec she's the youngest of 14 children like she has clawed her way to where she is on her complete raw talent and i have so much respect for her and the girl loves glitter and i think i think this song is is so important because it's both like it's a big power ballad right it's really easy to make fun of it right right but it also like she's got those vocals but it also i think speaks to to the central theme of the film that it's as much as this is a love story it's also about, it's about Rose. It's about Rose. And, and that's another thing about Cameron that I haven't even gotten into, just like his love for women, for strong women. Yeah. And, and Rose is, is, is an incredible heroine because the whole film is about her gaining her sense of self, gaining her confidence to kind of go out and live her life. And, you know, for me, some of the most important scenes in the film are kind of when you pan over all the images of kind of all the things that Rose did after the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the song, My Heart Will Go On, you know, it's about how how important this romance is to her, but how it's it's leading her to to. to bigger things to to embracing her life you know jack is kind of a manic pixie dream boy yeah so i love that this song you know embraces that and embraces that that narrative of rose and and yeah and i mean i don't know i would love i'm i'm hoping to see celine dion live soon uh she's supposed to come to edmonton on her next tour so i'm planning on going uh, fingers crossed. I, yes, fingers crossed. Everything works out. But I've I've heard she's also the most incredible performer. My aunt saw her back when she was touring on like a, a French Canadian album <laughs> in Saint Albert, and to this day she she has said like that was one of the greatest concerts she ever saw. 
<laughs> because like yeah even even back then like she just she brought it so yeah i love celine <laughs> i don't doubt that celine dion is an excellent stage performer uh because i think a she has the vocals i mean um and she has such a cool persona like she seems so funny and like right? glamorous and I think My Heart Will Go On is one of those, I mean, what you're saying is so true. Like, it's so easy to mock. It's so easy yeah. to, like, you know, think you're too cool for it. But honestly, like, why wouldn't you want to let it wash over you and knock you over? Because, like, it's so powerful. And, you know, the, the, the thematic connection to the film is so... It's so, to me, that's so interlocked that I, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the story that, like, I think they recorded it in secret because James Cameron didn't want, like, a pop song or a pop ballad. And like, I mean, like, he's a genius, you know, as a filmmaker, but that would have been a huge mistake because you need to have that to like tie the movie together. It muffles the sobs in the audience. Is the <laughs> so Aaron, what's like your favorite like moment or scene or line from the film? Like the one that you think about when you think Titanic? Oh my God. <laughs> that is, I feel like that's such a loaded question. I mean, there are, you know, you know what I love? I think my favorite scene is the, the, I'm like the dancing in the lower decks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And, and her getting on her toes. And I just like that sense of that joyousness in that scene. Um, And kind of her and Jack really like opening up to one another and just like, they're just kids. (laughs) They're just kids at a party. (laughs) Um, and just kind of, and, and the juxtaposition between that scene and, and kind of the dinner scene. But I, I do kind of think of like, I think the image when I think of Titanic um, that comes to my mind is them kind of like holding each other's hands and like spinning around like you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, I, and, and, and Cameron just, he shoots it so well, you know, he just kind of gets you in the action and in that excitement. I think that's, I mean, there are so many scenes, but when I think about it. That's the one. Because I I love Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet so much. <laughs> and I think, like, the chemistry between them. I mean, obviously, that chemistry is so powerful. It has spilled, you know, off of this, off of the screen. You know, like, they, I, I don't know about you, but whenever one of them wins an award at an awards show, I love it when the camera cuts to the other one. In the yeah, audience. yeah, yeah. And I love how they look at one another. And I just like, you know, the the casting of the two of them in this film is just like lightning in a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and that, so yeah. I think those scenes where, for me, where they're like really falling in love um, are the ones I, I cherish the most. Uh, those are the ones I love the most. Yeah. And then obviously like the I'm the king of the world comes to mind, the door comes to mind you know her on the door yeah uh like draw me like one of your french girls which you know what is a great line it's i mean honestly it's what i use when i'm trying to seduce someone (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) the handprint i'm like oh god i love the image of the car uh on the boat and yeah like it's just this film is full of iconic imagery. Like the I'm flying part, like, and that oh. kiss. I mean, that's just like, that so perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's so, it's, it's exhilarating because like, you know, she's flying metaphorically as well. You know? yeah. When I, when I'm 
most recently rewatched it, the stuff that stood out to me the most, though, surprisingly, is is more of the frame narrative. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it actually gives the film so much. Like, Bill Paxton is essentially playing, like, the Cameron surrogate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, I think it's really clever. And when when Elder, Ro- Elder Rose kind of says, like, it's me uh, about the image, I just, like, break down crying. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think the whole frame narrative just kind of, and the and the fact that she's telling this story to like kind of a skeptical audience really helps sells the movie. <laughs> There's something a little like um, smug, maybe, or like satisfied that like she's telling she's like in her hundreds and she's telling these young people that like she had this like sexual history, you know, and like they're sort of like bewildered by it and like. Yeah, I mean, Older Rose is, like... I mean, she's an amazing character, you know? She's... I mean, it's, like, it's so... uh, You can track, you know, how... Who Rose was when she got on the ship, who she became while on the ship, and then how she... You know, like you were saying, like, all those old photographs, it just shows, like, how much she has grown and learned from that experience and became such an awesome lady. And and Cameron, I think, does this throughout his filmography. He has... yeah well-rounded strong women at the center of his films you know I think I think he's potentially kind of thought as you know kind of like a boys movie maker you know like this kind of like geek making these like sci-fi movies but his movie like his movies feature such strong women who you know a lot of their their strength and power, I think, comes from their femininity. You know, I'm thinking yeah. about Sarah Connor and Jamie Lee Curtis and True Lies because I love True Lies, Manish. I really love True Lies, <laughs> uh, and I just I think I, you know, for for a filmmaker who I think typically works in a genre that that people kind of think of as you know for boys, uh, I think you can't underplay that aspect of of his filmography. And I think, I think it comes from a genuine place. I just really think he loves women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also Zoe Saldana in Avatar. Right. You know, Neytiri is kind of the lead of Avatar. Um, yeah. And I mean, Sigourney Weaver. In- and Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Exactly. And of course the goddess Awa herself is, you know, a true legend. Um, well, thank you so much for um, for sharing all that with me. And I'm so, so excited to have had you back on the show. Please tell us where we can find you online and about your amazing podcast. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I, I really do love Titanic. <laughs> oh, I can tell. Uh, I I have a couple of podcasts. I, I have one called Trash Art in the Movies that I do with Paul Matwichek, where we take kind of a high art film and a low art film that has some sort of connection, some sort of tenuous connection, and we discuss it. Uh, and so that's, you know, on uh, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you can listen to podcasts. And then I do another uh, podcast with my my real life partner, Matt, uh, called Bollywood is for Lovers, where he and I discuss Bollywood films. You've been on a couple times, Manish, and we're excited to have you on again. We have some ideas that we need to kick into gear. Uh, and that's, again, like everywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Aaron Fraser as well. I'm really-
really thrilled to welcome Nivesh Prambhat to the podcast. How's it going? Hey, Manish. It's going well. How are you? Uh, really, really good. Excited to have you on this show. Um, so tell me about your experience with Titanic when you first saw it, what your impressions were, and you know how, you know, how it's been for the last 20 years or so. Gosh, I mean... Thinking, trying to even consolidate my thoughts about this movie. It's (laughs) essentially, I mean, for as for many people um, in our kind of age group coming up, it is the formative, you know, movie of my kind of childhood years. Uh, It's the one that. So, I mean, my first experience with uh, with it was when I turned ten years old. Um, in 1998, January 1998, and we went to my birthday dinner at uh, El Chico, a a big Mexican chain, if you may recall. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then we went right after to the movies, um, and we went to Titanic, and I just was not even prepared. I was a doll decked out in a suit and everything. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Um, That's adorable. Yeah, it's really cute in a way, but... I was not prepared. Like we were having the time of our life. And then we went to this movie um, and God, it just washed over me. Like it was like a ton of bricks. Like it just kind of hit me. And it's been that formative experience since like every time I've revisited it. I mean, I've watched this movie like 30, 40 times probably easily. Yeah. Um, it never fails in its grasp um, and what it's doing. Um, and it's kind of been the benchmark like for um, all the movies since uh, it's my original movie that got me into movies. Um, that's what I can say about it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a broad question, but like, what is it about Titanic that, you know, really got you then and has you returning to it all these years later? Yeah, it's it has to be the the grand scale and scope of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what overcomes any kind of uh, flaws that you might find about it. I mean, even as a kid, I mean, I didn't know what like flaws and what the technicalities of filmmaking would. Be. Yeah, yeah. It's just the the story, this kind of perfect melding of saga and a story that's timeless uh, and it's very traditional and in that kind of setup, but it's so effective. Um, that's what's kind of stuck with me. Um, that's what got me on board in the beginning. And that's what stuck with me since. And it's kind of a miracle of a movie to exist uh, in that sense is because to combine such a successful uh, love story with this technical craft yeah. uh, that's, I just, the, the combo I don't think I've seen um, in any kind of movie since. Um, and that's what really does it for me. It never fails. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like how you call it a miracle of a movie because it seems like one of those movies where it should almost not work at all and it should have been a colossal failure and an embarrassment. Like, so many, I think, epic movies of the, the 80s and 90s just don't hold up or don't have any kind of lasting value. But Titanic, just it just works. It works so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, the the scale and the scope of it, the love story, it all just, it just feels like it only could have happened the way that it happened, you know? Um, yeah. What are some of your favorite, like, sequences in the movie? Or, like, what really sticks out to you as, like, Okay, this is what I think of when I think of Titanic. Yeah, uh, the sequence that really makes... There are two sequences that make me the most emotional. 
um, outside of the ones that, you know, at the end, like where, you know, obviously where Jack is dying and such. Yeah. Uh, but the one is where Rose is being lowered into the lifeboat and like she even has this connection with Jack. That's who's like standing on board still with Cal. Um, and she jumps off the, the lifeboat to run back to, uh, to um, Jack. And when he meets her, he like just says, he like, he just like yells at her, like, you're so stupid, Rose. You're so stupid. <laughs> I think that's like the, just the best kind of sentiment of love that you could like uh, insert into that one moment. Like, yeah. Even him even saying like I love you, it's like you're stupid. You're so you're we're, like I love you so much. You love me so much that you're so stupid that you did that. Yeah, and that just makes me so emotional. And then the other, the other one is a sequence where the violin players, or I should say the the musicians, they, they play uh-huh. different instruments. They start to play that the music while there's chaos going on, and you know uh, you just got to get a uh, uh, this. A whole series sequences of, of people making this really diffi- difficult life and death decisions about you know how and you know how they're going to die essentially and it's so so moving um and i think those that kind of perfect perfectly encapsulates like the heft of the movie like it's emotional toe that i think a, a lesser movie wouldn't have had moments like that um, yeah and that's actually all thanks to James Cameron. I mean, James Cameron with his hubris, thank God he has the hubris. <laughs> I know. Because it would not have worked without someone as so self-involved as him to like even start a movie like this. Like He, he wanted to make this movie because he just wanted to go see the Titanic and yeah. did everything after that. It's just kind of crazy how it came together. And But thank God that he was at the, the helm of it in a way. <laughs> even though where everyone is kind of icky, you know, everyone kind of feels icky about him in some way, one way or another, but, um, thank goodness it was him. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, I, he's made so many movies that I really love, like Titanic, of course, Aliens, Avatar, but I just like, don't want to associate myself with him, you know, right. cause he's like, seems like a terrible person all around. Um, I know. you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it takes someone of his, uh, you know, ego to make a movie like this and make it totally work. Um, so I got to ask, were you like really in, in the Leo thing back then? Um, Cause I know I was. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it was, it was nineties era Leo that I was really yeah. like, it's you know, the hair down the middle part. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, it's once he started slicking his uh, hair back that I started checking out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think actually Titanic is probably the last movie that I was like so so into because I love Romeo and Juliet before that as well. Of course, yeah. But I was totally um, a part of Leo Mania. Of course, had to be secretly so, you know. Um, and I can, uh, but I was also equally enamored with Rose, uh-huh. um, and then she's such an interesting character to me because I think she's the best, one of the best female characters of that era. Um, she's not entirely likable and she's so strong willed. Um, and she has like a full character arc, right. Um, outside of, uh, uh like as, uh, in contrast to Leo who kind of yeah. more, he's that kind of just matinee idol all the way through. Yeah. I mean, he's like the manic pixie dream boy, I guess. Right. Like he doesn't, he's not really a real character. He's just kind of like the love interest and just like, uh, he's just there to kind of 
bring her to you know her self fulfillment and yeah it's yeah it's, it's it's interesting i um it really wasn't until i was an adult that i kind of realized like how much this is a very like woman oriented story for some reason in my memory i had it as like leo was like the savior and i mean like he is kind of a savior in a way but like i thought he was like the hero and she was like the girl and i think that was just me being 12 years old and like totally in love with leo <laughs> but, right um but yeah she's so the central force of the story in a way that's really uh really exciting yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite scene in the movie? Um, I, you know, I really love, um, I love when the ship, like, breaks in half. Um, I mean, that's, like, you know, it's a morbid scene, but mm-hmm. I love that. And, like, just, like, because I just love how much the, sh- like, these parts of the sh- sinking are so, like, kind of like a horror movie sometimes where, you know, the ship's breaking in half and, like, lights are, you know, turning off and the water is raising on each of you know, the lower decks. Um, I love that. And uh, I also love... Um, I, I love this scene where uh, he's... Like, a lot of their early kind of courtship scenes, like, when he's, like, teaching her how to spit or, you know, of course, the famous drawing scene. And, right. um, you know, I just, like... I love a lot of... Like, there's such a good chemistry and their characters are so fun to be around because they kind of, like... They kind of have that, like, battle the sex, not battle the sexes, but, like, they're kind of, like, you know, testing each other out and seeing, you know, um, seeing what what they're doing. And, yeah, I really love all that. And um, I especially love anytime Kathy Bates is on screen. Like, she's oh, yeah. so... <laughs> She's so, so amazing in the movie, yeah. Right. I, I heard uh, that Reba McIntyre was supposed to play that role, but I can't imagine it. Like, I mean, God, I would love to see, like, if she wanted to do, like, a Zoom reading of those lines, yeah. I would love to see her That would be do cool. That. Yeah. I love that you said that it's like a horror movie because that it plays with that the similar tensions of a horror movie. Like, yeah. the tension is in you, what you know will happen, and that's yeah. what great like you know the titanic is going to sink and that's the tension that carries it throughout like just like a horror movie like you know that you know xyz person's gonna die um and that's the tension that carries it i totally agree there's one part when uh, victor garber tells Kay winslet he's like you know don't panic don't tell anyone but the ship will sink in you know an hour or two hours or whatever mm-hmm. and i'm like i always forget that that happens every time i watch it and i'm like oh wow that really just like raises the stakes because it's like it's not like there's just no way around it. Like, it's just, it's going to happen and you have to figure mm-hmm. out how you're, and like, you know, and of course, like, there's a scene when he explains to her that there aren't enough lifeboats. You just, like, know that, like, a lot of people are going to be dead at the end of this. And exactly. it's all, I mean, it's all just, like, so avoidable, but also, you know, people just didn't, didn't think it would happen. Right. Yeah. And that's why the, de- like, it's the, the decision making that you sit with every character and that's what, that's, it's just it's a it's a class like a master class in like decision making like just yeah. seeing that on the characters' faces like everyone is having to make this life and death decision, even the minor ones. That's what I love is like the attention to detail. All of the minor characters, like even the ones in that like sequence where they're all playing the music, yeah, and they're like tucking their kids in the bed or they're like t- they're just like holding their loved ones. Like they're 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 grappling with this this just horrible decision, and that is. God, I mean, I just, I can't see another director having made that that well, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, his attention to detail in all of his movies, but especially in Titanic, is just like, 
Um, he's able to keep track of every minor detail there and everything like, um, this movie is, I think, a masterclass of like setup and payoff. You know, everything that he introduces in the beginning, there's some payoff to it and you don't even realize it as you're watching the first half. And, uh, it's so, yeah, you know, it's so well, well executed. Yeah. 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 Any, any final thoughts on Titanic or, Anything regarding the film? Well, I would encourage everyone to watch it and rewatch it. Because <laughs> um, it's like one of those three-hour epics that you just won't regret a single bit of it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't regret a single second of it anytime I watch it. Um, it's going to be one of the great movies just that you'll ever see and that you'll probably never see the like of again. Um, yeah it's doing um and all the genres that it's hitting and all the the storytelling that it's hitting that these kind of character like it just it's kind of it's a one of a kind and like like you said manish it's a times capsule for um for movies of the 90s uh, and of that era um that's i mean i can only talk good i i feel like there's gonna be something there, there has to be something on the other side of it to like nitpick at but it's just not even worth going there because all of it becomes immaterial when you just look at how hard this film hits. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, yeah, I mean, I like really don't have much interest in picking this movie apart. You know, I saw it at the time when I thought every movie was the best movie ever. Uh-huh. And, you know, a lot of those movies have faded away, but Titanic is the one where I'm still like, this might be the best movie ever. <laughs> Right. (laughs) And the backlash to the backlash, I'm glad that it's happening at last. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we, yeah, it's time. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm over the backlash to Titanic, and I want to bring back the backlash to the backlash. Right. (laughs) You have a a patriot there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Devesh, thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you online, and what are you up to these days? Uh, thank you so much, Manish. Uh, it was yeah. great talking about this. Um, I am rambling on Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Both handles are at D-V-S-H-R-R-R. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll probably just see me talking about films and my everyday activities there. Yeah, great. Yeah, excellent follow. So do yourself a favor and follow Devesh. He's the best. Um, and thank you again. And I had a lovely time. I have to have you on the podcast to talk about, like, for a full episode, because uh, I really enjoy talking to you. <laughs> um, I would love to. Thank you so much. And thanks yeah. for having me on, Manish. Yeah, my pleasure. I am joined by Megan Kearns, who is a uh, film critic and podcaster. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing really well. Really, uh, really excited to have you on the show uh, talk about, you know, I think. I think a very important movie. Uh, um, so when was the first time you saw Titanic? What's your history with it? Oh my God. I'm first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I'm yeah. so excited to be talking about this. Cause I love this film. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I grew up watching a night to remember the amazing, wonderful 1958 classic. And it's still a film. I absolutely adore. Yeah. I also, love the I don't love but I I did when I was a kid the 1953 Titanic starring Barbara Stanwyck and I also grew up watching James Cameron films Aliens is still my all-time favorite film and I love Terminator and Terminator 2 so all of these things converged when Titanic came out in 1997 and I saw it in the theaters when it came out in December 
and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I still love it to this day. And I rewatch it periodically because it's just so good. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned the other versions of the story. Uh, I watched and I just remember for the first time about a year ago, because uh, mm-hmm. it was on Criterion Channel. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm such a fan of the James Cameron movie. I'm like, I should watch this, you know, other sort of definitive film version of it. Uh, I think for a while I was kind of uh, resisting it because I was so protective over <laughs> Titanic that I didn't want to, like, I it's I kind of had this, like, weird... Um, Thing where I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just not going to watch that one because it's not Titanic. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have right, Kate right. Winslet or Victor Garber. But I watched <laughs> it and I, I mean, it's an incredible film and I, I really encourage everyone to seek it out because uh, it's so different from the, the 90s film, of course, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really well-made movie and I think they really capture a lot of um, a lot of interesting things about the Titanic uh, sinking, and uh, I think the effects are pretty ex- exciting for for the time. Oh yes! But when it comes to Titanic, what brings you back to it over the years? Well, I love a good disaster film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's that, of course, and I think that James Cameron has always done a really great job with world building and pacing and tension. And those are definitely there in the film. But of course, I love the romance. And I think that Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, they're great actors. And Kate Winslet is one of my favorites. And they just have a palpable chemistry. And I think that that's very, very evident on screen. And so I love it for the costumes. I love it for the disaster tension. I love it for the romance, the spectacle, kind of all of those elements working together. It's one of those movies that literally has something for everyone and um, has such a, um, it really just encompasses so many different, uh, different genres. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad you brought up the romance. That's partially why we're here. Um, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I really, I totally agree with you that the, um, chemistry that they have is so palpable and it's so, it's like, you know, young puppy love and watching it. It's, it's so interesting to watch this movie as I get older, because I remember seeing this in the theater as well. And, um, I was like, oh my God, you know, star-crossed lovers, you know, of mm-hmm. course I was, you know, loved Leonardo DiCaprio from Romeo plus Juliet. Um, and I was like, oh my God, like another kind of swoony romance. And then now watching it, I'm like, oh my God, these poor kids, I think they <laughs> are in love. And, you know, they think that they have this, I mean, you know, and they have a special connection, but it's also like, they're so naive and they're so... Um, <laughs> They're just so young. I mean, they're barely out of their teens. So right? it's so it's so funny to watch this movie, you know, as an adult. Yes. <laughs> having that perspective shift. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, it, I think also following both of their careers and seeing them like in Revolutionary Road together and knowing that they've been friends for decades. And it's very clear that they have an on-screen and off-screen bond. And I just... I think that's so great to see, but you're absolutely right. They like rewatching it. It's like, oh, they're so young. They're just babies. They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what they're in for. They don't know what's coming. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, I'm a big fan of Revolutionary Road as well, and I think oh. watching these two movies together, so it's so mm-hmm. like it's so fascinating to see how much their chemistry, in some ways, hasn't changed at all. It, they just became more mature and yes. uh, more mature as actors, and more, um, you know, it's 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 a cool kind of cynical funhouse mirror version of their chemistry in Titanic, you know, um, because that I mean, Revolutionary Road is so cynical. It's such a depressing but amazing movie. Recommend that as well. I know that's why I love it. It's so dark. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, what are some of your favorite, uh, moments from Titanic? Favorite lines or scenes, anything like that? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one, one that really stood out on, because I just rewatched it this yesterday, uh, in preparation. And one that really stood out that it's something I've always liked, but I like it the more times I watch the film is it's so, common in rom-coms and romantic dramas that the you know it's a hetero couple and the man has to save the woman and I love that here there's a scene where Jack wants to be with Rose and she's like you know no no you know I have to marry Cal you know because she's doing it for the money so she can help out her mother and you know maintain their status quo in the you know upper elite echelon class and she says to him, um, it's not up to you to save me, Jack. And he says, you're right. Only you can do that. And I really love that line. And, you know, arguably, yes, he does save her. And she even says when she's an older woman at the end of the film, he saved me in every way a person can be saved, which is a really, really beautiful and lovely sentiment. But I also love that she saves herself. Like she makes the decisions like I'm not going to follow and what my mother says, I'm not going to marry this abusive jerk Cal. I'm going to follow my heart. And, you know, and she saves Jack when he's handcuffed. And that scene where she's navigating the watery terrain and she's got like one hand on the axe and the other hand on the pipe on the ceiling. And she's like traversing the water. It's really tense. And it's so great that she's the one saving him. And she used her, you know, ingenuity to try to find something to set him free. And I just, I really like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think a lot of those scenes when she's, you know, in the hallways of the ship, you know, it's like, it really symbolizes how much this movie, this is her movie, you know, yes. and I, you know, I love the line when she says, you know, he saved me in ways in every way that a person can be saved, because I don't think she means it as in like she was a damsel in distress, but more right. that he brought out in her what she, what even she didn't know about herself, you know, mm-hmm. the way she's, you know, she didn't survive the Titanic by being in one of those, you know, lifeboats or anything. She's, you know, she had gumption and courage and resilience and just was able to find, you know, a way to kind of break her own chains, you know, that, yes. that she had in the beginning. And he brought that out in her, sure, but, you know, she always had it there. And, um, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, Jack, because, you know, they only had those few days together, and, you know, he said, you know, she says in the beginning that he just uh, lives in her memory. In some ways, she's just a symbol for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that to be really interesting. I mean, I don't think Titanic gets enough credit for its, you know, empowering moments with Rose and how, you know, she doesn't take the easy way out at the end either. Um, she kind of leaves her mom to, you know, financial ruin. And, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but, it, you know, the thing is that it's not really her responsibility to pay for her, 
you know, pay for her parents' mistakes and uh, right. definitely not her responsibility to suffer at the hands of someone who, you know, treats her like chattel. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. I think, uh, I think it's really great. And, like, that's why the, like, to me, that's why their romance really, um, you know, holds up, even though it's so naive and childish, is because, like, it's just a, it's it's just a like a, a a motif for her you know self discovery. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree with everything you just said, <laughs> and I also think that I love that you pointed out that that she already has everything inside her, and he just brings it out because he Jack is so supportive of her, and it's interesting because you know she's very controlled, she's very stifled, you know, so much so that she feels driven to the point of suicide and you know which is horrifying and you know and tragic and jack is a free spirit and he gets to go where he wants and he does what he wants and she finds that so alluring but she is so fiery and opinionated and stubborn and that's why he's drawn to her and i just i love that he is so supportive of her and tells her you know, you can do it, Rose, you can do it, you know, you've got this. And it's just, it's so lovely to kind of see an egalitarian relationship, even though it's so brief, you know, and it's happening in, you know, the turn of the century. And yet it's still such a lovely, empowering, equal romance. The only part that I don't really love about their romance is like, he calls her a spoiled brat uh, at some (laughs) point. And I'm watching that yesterday. And I was like, excuse me, when was she spoiled a brat in front of you? I don't know. Like, right? Do I need to rewind? That was the only part where I felt like, you know, it was, he was a little maybe like um, a little more like judgy or whatever towards her. But and yes. I, I think that might be more of a, a writer problem than a character problem, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it's, I, you're absolutely right, though. There's, I think that there's, there, there's a lot of um, self, there's a lot of mutual respect between them and a lot of, you know, what they find attractive in the other is sort of what they kind of wish that they had, you mm-hmm. know? And so that's why I find this romance to be so, so, you know, uh, alluring, so attractive, so appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, very charming. So do you have a favorite, like one favorite line or a favorite kind of moment that always is like, this is like my favorite part of the movie? Oh, <laughs> I know that's like so hard. I have so yeah. many. Um, yeah, the line I just shared, I really do. Yeah. I do like that. Um, this isn't my favorite, but for some reason, this line always stands out to me when she says to Cal, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, that's a great line. <laughs> it is. It's a, and I also think it's really a testament to Kate Winslet's delivery and how you know great she is, because I think that line might not be. I mean, it is a good line. It's a great line. But I don't know how. I don't know if it would be as great in a lesser actor's hands, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. No, no. But, you you need a Kay Winslet to deliver that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's great. I mean, I love all of the disaster moments. Like, I love – it's kind of mind-boggling, like, how many times they go up and down the decks. Like, how many times they're below deck and then they're above deck and then yeah. they're back below. And I love that. I also – I love when the ship has broken apart and then, you know, it's like – 
completely vertical and they're standing that they're hanging on and he's like hold on rose hold on i'll tell you when to hold your breath and it's i've seen this film so many times and it is still like i'm still like have my breath caught in my throat like oh my god are they gonna make it and well he's not but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, but he does yeah. After that, and it's just yeah it's just so tense um yeah, I also really love because because you mentioned Victor Garber earlier, and I love Victor Garber so much. He's so wonderful. And that scene when they're running through like the the dining room and Victor Garber's at the clock and she's like, Aren't you gonna try to make a run for it? And it's just there's something really sad about that that he's like, No. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's um he's such a brilliant actor and mm-hmm. uh the the sense of like failure and this and this disappointment that he has because he knows that like this is partially you know and so i think he thinks it's partially his fault mm-hmm. and like he says you know I, I wanted to build you a stronger ship and i'm like that's such a sweet way to say it and you know, know it's yeah he's he's great and um i think one of my favorite you know kind of smaller supporting roles in in the movie um it's such a tragic figure mm-hmm Absolutely. Which also reminds me of kind of some of the smaller moments that are that are heartbreaking in this, which also always reminds me of A Night to Remember is like people scrambling when the ship is about to completely be submerged and they're scrambling to get deck chairs together and they're like tossing themselves into the water and they're probably dying on impact or freezing. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's all of it is obviously so tragic, but there's so many moments, the band playing. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, and they're about to stop, and then, but the the violinist keeps going, and the other two join him. Ah, oh, it's all just, yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. This movie is so beautiful at capturing all these small things, um, and I really, I I feel fine that that's what makes this movie so valuable, and so you know, you want to return to it because there's something so somber and melancholy about about all these scenes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for um, sharing your thoughts on the film. Uh, where can people find you online and what are you working on? Oh, well, people can find me at on Twitter at Opinion Us World. I also co-host the podcast Spoiler Piece Theater, and we put out weekly uh, episodes reviewing new films. We don't let spoilers get in the way of good discussion. And I'm also a contributor to the queer site Edge Media Network. Awesome. Thank yeah, thanks so much for for being here. It's such a such a pleasure uh to talk about this incredible film with you. I know. Oh my god, I could have talked about it for hours. More. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Matt Carrione. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? It feels like it's been 84 years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> since we have uh, been on a show together. This is wonderful. Yeah, it is uh, so, so lovely to talk to you again in, in podcast form, um, especially about this movie that I know you and I both really love. Ah, this movie. Yeah. So tell me about the first time movie. you saw Titanic. Uh, first time I saw this was obviously, you know, in theaters when it came out yeah. uh, with my mom. Uh, she really wanted to see it. And uh, I really wanted to see it. I thought it looked really good. And we saw it. And then we went back a few days later to see it again. And then we went back the next weekend to see it again. Uh, This is one of those movies that it's become a running joke that 
if my mom's not watching this, something's wrong. Uh, <laughs> like for years and years, uh, she had like the uh, that double VHS set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just next to the television at all times. This was always on whenever uh, she had the TV on. It was. It's great. It's one of her favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies. And uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, it really is. So would she just like like if she turned it on, it she'd have to watch the full three hours, or was it like stop and start, or did she like forward to her favorite? Part? Like I'm just trying to picture what it was like. Whenever it was like, say, even if it wasn't on her VHS and it was on TV, she would yeah. like she would just leave it on. Like wow. You know, it's just one of those movies. Oh, oh, I gotta fold some laundry. I'll, I'll put on Titanic. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I got nothing else to do today. Oh, Titanic's on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a half an hour in. No, I'll watch the rest of it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what I mean, what was it for you that kept you going back to the theater over and over again? And has it, you know, and when it became like a household staple, like what what was it about uh, the film? The thing that got me excited about it when it was coming out was just the blockbuster spectacle of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I grew up watching, you know, James Cameron's movies, uh, big fan of aliens, uh, the Terminator movies, uh, true lies. And I mean, this was his follow up to true lies. And how was I not going to go see the latest James Cameron movie? I mean, I, when I was a kid, I did think it was weird that, Hey, where's Arnold? But, (laughs) but you know what? It's fine. Uh, the movie works really well it's pretty much cameron firing on all cylinders yeah yeah i mean it's really like um you know i've seen all of his i've seen all of his movies and um you know i've enjoyed them all you know i think true lies is the one that i haven't seen very recently but i've seen them because all it's not really available yeah it's not really available um that you know, but I think Titanic just it just has something else to it. You know, like I love the Terminator series. Of course, Aliens is Aliens. You know, yeah. Avatar. Like, hello, best movie I've ever yes. seen. But like, oh, <laughs> but like Titanic just like has a special I don't know X factor, and it's hard to even pinpoint what that is. I think it's just um, like it's just a magic movie. For me, it's. Everything great about every James Cameron movie thrown into one movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the, the awesome special effects. Uh, you have a great villain in uh, Billy Zane. You have great action sequences. I mean, when he's chasing uh, chasing them through the sinking ship, that is some thrilling stuff. That is some T-1000 going after John Connor stuff. It's really well done. And the whole movie's just gorgeous. I mean, these effects hold up all these years later. Uh, It's also, side note, this is one of the best 3D conversions I've ever seen. I saw this when they re-released it in 3D years ago. And uh, Cameron doesn't mess around with that technology. Uh, (laughs) He doesn't just output it to another studio like here make this 3d no he sits down and he works on it with them uh i like that he's such a hands-on guy that he will do that and he'll uh he'll he'll be very you know exacting with what he wants on the screen and he gets it and in this case he got you know yeah he got one of the best movies ever made (laughs) yeah 
Um, I unfortunately missed the 3D conversion and Oof, so uh, cool. It was yeah. so cool looking. Um, because that was right at the height of bad 3D conversions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, so, you know, and so I was, I mean, it was like right after Avatar. So every movie was yeah. doing the 3D thing and post conversion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, looked and awful. they looked bad. And so I was like, I don't want to see Titanic look like, you know, Clash of the Titans or whatever. <laughs> um, and then by time people were, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't really active on social media. So like yeah. by the time I had heard that it was actually pretty good, I had missed it. You had missed it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping they bring that back for the, um, 25th anniversary next year. That'd be because, nice. That'd be nice. Um, uh, it's also, yeah. uh, the reason I decided to go see Terminator 2 when he did the 3D conversion for that. Cause also, one of the best 3D conversions I've seen. Yeah, the man, that, the man yeah. does not mess around. Yeah, yeah, that one I made sure to go see because I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to make the same <laughs> mistake yeah, he, with Titanic. He did a really good job with that one too. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would like? What are some of your favorite uh, moments from the film, or like, is your favorite line or sequence or uh, character? Ah. Uh. I'm going to teach you how to spit. <laughs> love when uh, he teaches her how to spit. Yeah. Uh, I love Ka- I love Kathy Bates, like, coaching coaching Jack. I think that yeah. is wonderful. Uh, I really like their interplay in this movie, Kathy Bates and DiCaprio. I think you can tell they get along, and it really helps sell what's going on. Uh, yeah, when they, uh, she te- he teaches her how to spit. Uh, that first little meeting on the promenade, I really, really like that. And uh, yeah, uh, also her traversing the sinking ship to try to rescue him when he's handcuffed. Yeah, that is that is some harrowing, thrilling cinema. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I really love um, just. I mean, it feels like it's so scary because lights are going on and off. Like, uh, you know, there's that one part when she uh, comes across like a, uh, um, like a, like a, yeah, the kid, but I I mean, like one of the um, Titanic like crew members. Yeah, and she's trying to get him to follow her to Leo, and he's trying to get her away, and then she punches him. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like um it's just it's so it's so but it's such a great like depiction of just the chaos that was happening where like no one's really talking to each other no. they're talking in, at please. each other yeah and it's not kind of like every man for himself for a lot yeah. of people that was were just like i just got to get as high as i can i have a child <laughs> yeah i have a child yeah <laughs> Um, I also want to ask you about the like Bill Paxton because I, I know he's a favorite of yours. Um, That's great, and uh, I feel like he gets undersold in this movie. Oh, he definitely does. And yeah, him and Gloria Stewart's uh, interactions in this movie are pitch perfect. Uh, really love both of them in this movie, but yeah, Bill Paxton's great as like the treasure hunter, mm-hmm. uh, the, the salty sea dog that he is, uh, him and his whole crew. I mean, they're just like fun dudes who don't really see civilization all that. Much. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of like on a boat their entire lives. Like, yeah. You know, 11 yeah. months out of the year. And, uh, they don't really know how to deal with human beings. 
and uh, it helps. It helps their characters. I really like it. I mean, Bill Paxton. This was a he's great in this. It was a great year for him with this, and uh, I think Twister was the same year. Or Twister was the year before. It was or? right around then, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he yeah, just I mean, like this was, was his, and was you know. Apollo 13 was not too long before either. Yes. Yeah, um, Twister was the year before uh, Titanic, so like yeah. he was on a on a roll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I also think it's kind of cool how they like the way it's set up. They just like stumble into this like amazing story. Yes. you know, yes. like oh hey, that's me in that, pi- that picture. Yeah, oh, yeah. Come on out to the boat. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I really yeah I. I the more I watch this movie, the more I come to appreciate the framing device. I think before I was always like, oh, whatever, like... Yeah. But it feels like it takes it actually takes a lot longer time. than you think it does. Yeah. Uh, I, I always I, remember it being like five minutes, but it's actually like a big portion of it. Yeah, I like the framing device, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it also helps that Gloria Stewart is so good in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is... Uh, yeah. She's wonderful. Uh, it was really nice to see, you know... Uh, the girl from the Invisible Man, right, right, <laughs> pop up here in basically a, uh, a big supporting role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder if Elizabeth Moss is Moss is going to be in the Titanic remake in like sixty Boy. years. <laughs> oh my God! Imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, Gloria Stewart also has my favorite line in the movie. Um, and where she says, uh, this is the last time Titanic ever saw daylight. Isn't that just so eerie? <laughs> like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's, and it's such a beautiful line. And it's like, it's again, like I, I personally get so caught up in the, like the romance and like the intrigue around the necklace and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I was like, sometimes I feel like I forget that like it hits the iceberg. And, Cause it's yes. just so, it happens yes. like <laughs> smack dab in the middle of all this drama. And you're like, oh, right. This is the movie like, I'm oh, watching. Oh, right. Yes. There, there is a, <laughs> yeah. an iceberg in this, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely. But yeah, and that, that line really like, it really jolts you because it comes at like the, like the peak romantic scene in the movie, you know, yeah. when they're on the, um, yep. And you're when like, they're oh, flying. oh yeah, yeah, that, that <laughs> did happen. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to do, uh, talk to you about, uh, Victor Garber, what, what your thoughts are on him. Uh, oh, Mr. Andrews. Yeah. Uh, he is, uh, wonderful in this movie. Basically everyone in this movie is wonderful. Right. I mean, it's like their iconic roles. I mean, uh, but I love Victor Garber in this. He is, uh, He's very stern. He's serious, but he's also a lot of fun at times. Uh, there, there's that one really devastating scene, though. Like the last time you see him, yeah, uh, and one of the last times you see him, where he's like, "Rose, get to a lifeboat. You need. There aren't enough. <laughs> you, you need to go." Uh, it's really, really great stuff. I, ah, oh my god. Uh, this is probably this and. If you were to say Victor Garber to me, I would say this and Alias are like the first things that pop into my head. Yeah, same here. I mean, I think like he just has such a like he's such a good actor and like he's doing such really subtle work in this movie for a movie that's full of archetypes and you know a lot. I mean, I love all the performances, but like they're a little broad. Yeah, right. Big emotions. Yeah, yeah, but he's 
I mean, he's like really doing so much and it's yeah. all so restrained. It's, he's it's putting so in great. the work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really love the score of this movie. Like, oh, I mean, that, you know, that Heart Will Go On themes, like the way it's like weaves in and out of the score. Mm-hmm. It's so brilliant. That's oh, really good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really like the composer here. Uh, James Warner. He's, he was one of the greats. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Um, any final thoughts on Titanic or uh, anything last you wanted to bring up? I, no, just that it is one of the best movies ever made. It is what movies should be. They should uh, have big entertainment value. They should have something that pulls on your emotions. Uh, they should impress you with uh, the look and feel of them. And they should have memorable characters and performances. And Titanic has it all. Titanic yeah. really does have it all. One of the great uh Great blockbusters, obviously, and just one of the great, you know, directorial films that has come out in the last 30 years. I mean, it's it's got it all. And Cameron knows how to please an audience. And I'd say nine times out of ten, he pulls off pulls it off quite well. Could not say it better myself. Matt, so thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show again. Please tell us where you can be found online and what you are up to these days. Right. Well, you can find me everywhere at the real Matt C, and you can find me over on my podcast, Monsters Never Die, where uh, my friend Jacob and I talk about monster movies and horror movies, and we have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we're currently in a stretch of uh, three episodes about Godzilla, because there's a lot of movies, and we're going to cover them all with special guests, and it's a lot of fun. Yes, so excited about that. Um, yeah, thanks again, and to listeners, uh, thanks for listening to this very extended episode on a really beautiful movie. Um, hope you enjoyed the podcast, and have a great, have a great day. Big movie, big episode.